0: are listening to the Bondzilla Podcast. The Bondzilla Podcast is an ongoing analysis of two of cinema's longest running franchises, James Bond and Godzilla. This week we explore Guillermo del Toro's ode to giant monsters and giant robots. It's 2013's Pacific Rim. Hello, everybody. We're back here at the Bondzilla podcast uh, for another brand new edition, mainline episode, as it were. <laughs> mainline? Yeah. Main... I, I don't
1: think I've, I don't think we've ever called it that before.
0: I've called it a main episode, yeah. or, or you know, the film episode. Straight into the veins
1: <laughs> of, of of your ears, your ear your ear veins. Veins. That's actually not a bad phrase. Here with another dose straight into the ear veins. Yeah, it's it's, little, it's Will it's and un, Nick.
0: It's a little unsightly. Yeah, it's Nick and Will here at the, the Bonds of the Podcast. Hope
1: everybody's quarantine is going well, as well as it can. Hope everybody's enjoying uh, themselves with... Uh, whatever they can do (laughs) it sounds weird the only reason it sounds weird is because you know again we have talked about before it's like you know we we are finding our own ways to keep ourselves entertained and and obviously are fortunate to be in positions where we can do that but you know you you i do i should say this i i hope and wish everybody is um making uh is Having the best time that they can, I suppose. Yeah, it's weird. It's weird to kind of like give salutations during these times. Right. You know what? Just listen to the podcast, okay? And and you're gonna like it. You know what? I'm done. I'm done with these niceties. Just because we're all locked in. You know what? We're locked in here too. So yeah, this podcast will just become me breaking down, going crazy. <laughs> this is it. This I'm, is the one. This is I'm, the one that snaps. What is, what is, where it snaps.
0: Was the line like, "I'm not locked in here."
1: Oh, with with you, you're locked in here with me. Yeah, yeah. Well, technically, yeah. I mean, we're all kind of (laughs) yeah on both sides of that equation. (laughs) You guys are locked in here with us, so enjoy. Until unless
0: you pause us or Mm. just put down the phone or the SoundCloud or or exit out of your SoundCloud tab, then you know. Hey, hey. Like I'm doing my best here. (laughs) I'm doing my best. I'm doing my best here. It's an old. I'm doing my best. It's an old. (laughs)
1: How's uh? We gonna we gonna
0: revive our old uh, uh Italian film reviewer character? Oh
1: yeah, Nick and I had like this uh, this character that lasted, um, a trip down to Comic Con, I guess. A and little bit, a little after that, where it was like a a character who would who was like extremely Italian.
0: It was just like one of those like film review slash unboxing YouTube channels. Yeah, except it was the most stereotypical. Yeah, like
1: he reviewed things out of like five cannolis. Yeah, and like this is how many rigatoni's it is. Yeah, it was and it was, it was you know, and, and
0: it's okay because he's you know Italians are white. Yeah, so, so it's, like it's all yeah. we can all make money of them, right? Yeah,
1: I don't think I don't think an Italian has ever had problems like. Never, like, yeah. Oh, never. Don't, don't. I mean, really Do they? Do they really? I mean, like, when Scorsese makes so many stereotypical movies about you, like, right. Well, that's like, at thing. that point, like, if Scorsese is able to make like great movies, that it's basically just Italian stereotypes. Yeah. Then you have to just take in even the negative ones, right? Listen, is that that's how stereotypes work? You know,
0: right? one of our greatest cultural I- icons is an Italian stereotype. Mario. Who? No,
1: that's. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. Nick, um, Nick how's, your, how's your past since last episode of Quarantine been?
0: Did some laundry today.
1: Oh, wow. I had to go upstairs. No way.
0: It's my first time going to the upstairs laundry room. It's pretty nice.
1: Only took five years.
0: Well, usually this one works. Yeah. Today, this one wasn't working. I ate a quarter, so I lost a quarter. Both of them? Yeah.
1: Both of them ate your quarter. No, one- the Yeah, one, see, I, I no, caught you. I caught you no, in the no, lie.
0: No, 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 no. The one, the the newer one, said yeah. out of order on it. Mm-hmm. So I went to the other one. Oh, and the and, other one, eight or quarter. And then it's is like one of those things where it got stuck and it wasn't reading do, it. Do
1: you know what the upstairs looks like? Did you know before?
0: Yes, I've been up there. You have been. Up I there. have explored. <laughs> yes,
1: it's all new up there, yeah. which I didn't know until recently. To mm-hmm. be honest, that they just redid that yeah. whole thing. I go up there all the time.
0: Yeah, it probably will continue to go up there in the future.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, and and that's what. That is the silver lining of these times, is that we're all finding new things to do. We're all finding different hobbies for us to take part in. Uh, Nick's is, you know, exploring different parts of the building.
0: And, and and really discovering meaningless things about the things that I want.
1: Yeah. Nick gave me a fun fact about Looney Tunes and uh, Disney Tunes today, yeah. and- it really was a useless fact. Yeah. I, I enjoyed hearing it, mm-hmm. but it was essentially like it was one of those you introduced it to me. Like it's mean. I said it was mean- yeah, yeah. Like long story short, it was basically like um like Looney Tunes, like or sorry, the Disney Tunes. They put the director's name and then eventually the title, and then it was the opposite. Yeah, uh, the- on the di- on yeah, the and like the Looney opening tunes. credits of those shorts. Yeah, and then you introduce this information to me, and then I was assuming like, oh, what's the reason behind that? And you're like, I don't know. And I was like, or that it really was be, useless information. Could be to say that, you know, yeah. that- But to be honest, I, I I, actually do approve of that because as I have said, because I have been spending my time playing and grinding on way too much Pokemon and video games recently uh, because I previously didn't have the time. And as I explained to a buddy of mine that if there was ever a time for you to do all the useless stuff that you wanted to do, now is the time to do it that's
0: why i got animal crossing
1: yeah you got animal crossing my girlfriend is currently ba- baking a banana bread which is like the thing
0: at this si- like during recording yeah
1: like she's right right now she is like rec- she, she is ha- recording the banana bread she's recording it Jeez. and we're baking this podcast i like banana bread yeah well if there's some left maybe you can have some i can't have banana bread i can't eat it nuts. i can't eat bananas nuts no, wh- no what
0: uh, you're you can't do bananas either
1: no what about the nuts? What are you talking about? Oh, I guess there are nuts in banana bread. You can you can put nuts in. Oh, banana she is going to put nuts in the banana bread. Maybe is she trying to kill me? <laughs> Holy I,
0: I didn't know you were not a banana guy.
1: Yeah. Oh no, no, I can't. Last time I checked, last time I had a banana, I did not have a good experience with it. So well, I just, I, I, my knowledge. I, I of, well, you. an allergy doesn't make you a not of that person, guy. Well, just, That's I, not what an allergy you're not, is. Your
0: body doesn't allow bananas. It's yeah. Fine. It's like you know. Why like, are
1: you trying to explain allergies to your me? Your body. it got very hostile your, real fast. Your
0: body is quarantining against bananas.
1: That no. This is this. These are awful analogies to explain a condition that I've had my entire life that you just found out. I love how you oh, I knew just the, found out. I knew the nuts yeah, thing. but you didn't know the banana thing. And you just found out two well, seconds like- ago and now you're acting like you're a doctor and being like, Well this is what your body's doing with the banana
0: <laughs> Listen. Yeah. I mean I'm a lot more likely to offer you nuts than offer yeah. you a banana. Why
1: would you why would you be more likely?
0: Well, to like, offer me nuts if like, you if know I did, if I you've know, known for years if, if i didn't know anything i'm yeah. not i'm not just gonna come up to you and be like here's a banana but like if i didn't know you had a nut allergy i was like here's but a you peanut-
1: do know me so th- this conversation is moot
0: yeah but i'm just saying it's more important for me to know about the nuts than it is about the bananas all
1: right i see where you're coming from because how often are you offering somebody a banana right but you're always offering things so, with nuts yeah that. that's true that that is true um okay all right i'll i'll accept that one i mean i guess
0: it's been very clear there's never been any bananas in this apartment
1: yeah no no well you don't eat bananas either
0: not i mean i'm not a huge fan of bananas by themselves but i will eat banana bread okay and like maybe like bananas on like bread pudding possibly i've done that before
1: well if you play your cards right maybe you'll get some of this banana bread if there's any left that's basically what the cards are. Yeah. So the cards are actually completely out of your hand. So it's like the only card game you will play where you don't get any cards.
0: Are there any card games like that?
1: Where like I mean, I you're think... part of the game, but you don't get any cards?
0: Probably not, unless yeah. you get like, I mean, I, I could imagine it being like you have like only your first hand and then you're killed within like the first hand somehow. Well,
1: maybe it's just like it's a well, like, you, you participate, a... but like everybody else has the cards and you don't.
0: Well, I guess Storm's kind of like that.
1: I'm talking about like a real card game like with aces and clubs. I don't know. We should come up with that. What else do we have to do? Yeah. I'll tell you what else we have to do. This is actually relevant. Um anybody who listens to the podcast uh, and follows us on social media uh knows that uh that our podcast took place in the Monsterverse watch along yes. uh that was hosted by legendary and nerdist uh starting last week with the uh, 2014 Godzilla film in yes. which we joined along, it was fun, uh, and watched the film and gave our own commentary on it, uh, and it was a lot of fun. It was definitely uh, just cool. Uh, the, oh, the biggest thing about it was is that uh, Gareth uh, Edwards, the director, uh, chimed in on uh, the Godzilla Twitter account basically and he watched uh, gave it. it yeah. yeah,
0: watched it for the first time since he,
1: which came was definitely out. a big. Um, excuse me it was definitely to me that was the most exciting thing because i think out of all the monsterverse directors thus far uh he has been the most quiet um and and to my knowledge and it was never out of um any like reason um i never got the sense that there was any like thing that behind that other than he's just not a very like uh verbose like or he, like big he, personality. He's one of those director. directors
0: that basically he makes a movie and then yeah. you know He, he, he made he, a
1: joke about that yeah. too on the on the commentary where he's like he hadn't seen the movie in like in five years. Right yeah basically uh, since the movie came out and Yeah and uh it, it was like he also had to like rent it on iTunes yeah. to get it. Uh <laughs> um, but, <laughs> but it's I like because really there's cool.
0: there's really the two types of directors. So the directors who don't mind like revisiting their work. And there's directors that basically like they hate revisiting their work. Cause I know Spielberg is notorious Yeah, that he hates revisiting. Cause he, he, he says that he can only see the improvements like he could have made or the mistakes oh, sure. that he made. I feel like Edwards is definitely in that realm. Yeah, or, like, you get other directors who really don't mind, like, you know, revisiting and re-analyzing. Like, you know, or, they're just like, like, Tarantino loves to do it. Yeah. Uh, I Richard Kelly, director of Southland Tales, loves to go back to, like, you know, mm-hmm. like... Darnie Darko and Southland Tales, and like revisit those and talk about like that stuff. So, mm-hmm.
1: yeah, and and then even just within the family, the, I mean, what's going to be funny about like the next two films, uh, because this is a movie a week type deal. Yeah. We did the first one last week, uh, this week we're doing mm-hmm. Kong Skull Island, it'll be on Thursday, uh, Thursday, 5 p.m. Central. So, uh, from my understanding, 5 p.m. Um, understand Central, uh, Pacific,
0: yeah, I was about to say, yeah, sorry, I was just, I was just making sure.
1: No, you were right,
0: yeah. I didn't know if the time changed because it was five p.m. Time semester. always changes, Nick. right? <laughs> so if you're listening, to, if you're listening to this on Wednesday uh, or Thursday morning, you are welcome here, I'm, to I, join I have, us.
1: I have the uh, I have the uh, computer up here. I am checking to make
0: sure. Uh, yeah, I mean, this is this is a whole lot of you know, you know, you, you we could probably just edit in the correct thing. Too. No, uh,
1: uh-uh. uh, we're right here. No edits on the fly. These people, they don't have anywhere to go. Where are they going? They can wait. They can absolutely wait. Um, It does not say here, but last week it was, it was at, it was at five. Yeah, here we go. Yeah. Okay. So 5 p.m. Pacific, uh, April 16th, which is uh, Thursday. We are going to be uh, watching Kong Skull Island. So if you want to take part in that, um, basically what we did is we tweeted along with the movie. The entire thing takes place over, um, uh, over Twitter and using the hashtag monsterverse watch along uh you can follow legendary and nerdist uh and i'm assuming um jordan vote roberts is going to be joining in on it. some as sort well. of special guest yeah you know, I, like, I would be shocked if he's not you know. giving input only because the only and the, the reason i say this is because why edwards was so fun was because the other two movies have had directors who have like Honestly, have been like the big champions and very vocal behind the movie. Like Jordan, Vote Roberts, and Michael Doherty were two people who've been like super, like, like out there in front of the movie from day in in front of the movie from day one, all the way until today. They're always talking about the the film. So while I'm excited to hear from them, which I I almost guarantee they'll be there. I can't guarantee it, but I'm pretty sure they're going to be there and joining in and tweeting in. Uh, It was definitely a treat to get. Uh, edwards uh, to have him uh, you don't know un- un- it could be brie larson it could be yeah what
0: do, what do any of them have to do it could be <laughs> john goodman it, it could be <laughs> could be king kong himself it could
1: be oh my god can you imagine they get uh they get kong uh yeah. his, his own his own twitter basically that'll was, be fun
0: what i was trying to say is that if you're listening to us right when it drops on wednesday or thursday morning you are welcome to join us for the call island if you are listening to this after thursday you're welcome to go back on our Twitter account and see our tweets. Yeah. Or if you're listening to this five months from now, when the world, you know, who knows where that'll be at that point, but if you're listening to it five months from now, you know, you can you can always kind of shift through our, our Twitter and, and, you know, find well, our thoughts.
1: Was there anything interesting or fun about the, uh, that you learned from the Edwards one?
0: There was definitely, oh, of course, uh, that there was confirmation that the character of Ford, Brody, was named after harrison ford so it's mm-hmm. definitely oh yeah 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 that was fun that definitely put together uh you know for us we there made, there was also
1: a uh, a bond reference if i remember correctly. yes that
0: the, the the design of the um the analog uh nuke mm-hmm. was based on the bomb that's in goldfinger yes when the one that he stopped at 007 yeah so, uh, so th- there is a little official piece of, yeah. of bond lore crosses over. It was a whole lot of fun and just, you know, Edwards chiming in with different facts that like, there's a lot of stuff. I tried to retweet anything that seemed interesting. So again, there was a lot going on. Um, so if you want to go back, we, we have a thread, so it's easy to kind of get through mm-hmm. the thread. And uh, we had a good time, and we're very much looking forward to the next two.
1: Yeah, yeah. I it it, it was it was definitely my first live tweet, and it, and I think as we were getting ready for this episode, we were just talking about how we're looking forward to watching, um, uh, to watching the next two. So that'll be fun. It was funny though. Uh, speaking about um, today's episode. Was that we were talking uh, to a friend and uh, they knew we were watching today's episode and they were saying like, "Oh, are you are are you getting ready for the watch along in some capacity?" And we're like, "Well, no, it's for today's episode." And but it it is funny that had we, like uh, the 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 watch along kind of came in later in the game, but it is funny that it's like, well, maybe would it have been smarter just to watch Kong Skull Island <laughs> since we're going to be talking about it this week? But um, you know. <laughs> we'll get there. Eventually, yeah. I, it was one of those things I thought about because this was already on the schedule. Like mm-hmm. we kind of had this planned that the, this is what we were going to do. It was just kind of a random thought I had this morning. So, uh, for that Kong skull Island, you're everybody. If you're on the Twitter, you're going to get that commentary about yeah. what our thoughts about that movie are before we do an episode proper. But I mean, I'm sure we we'll
0: plan. look at a bunch of Kong stuff in the future. Mm-hmm. I would like to look, I mean, obviously a full episode on Kong skull Island. Um, it's funny to think that 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 was the first one that came out during the whole podcast because mm-hmm. it matched up perfectly well with the beginning of this podcast when we did Kong versus Godzilla the mm-hmm. original. Um, it I was would, well, it was a real
1: good like kind of like jolt to the system like that it kind of gave us like well, okay well there there this. This world is opening up enough. We'll have plenty to talk about. Yeah. De- definitely.
0: But I would like to. I mean, I would love to talk about Kong Skull Island. I would love to probably probably watch the original King Kong at some point. I mm-hmm. would assume. I would even like to do maybe a little bonus deep dive episode on that seventies Kong movie. Mm-hmm. I would love to. I would love to watch that because that's like the weird shit that we love on this podcast.
1: And for a second there, I thought that was the name of it. That 70s Kong movie, like that. I thought that's what I was like. Oh, yeah. I'd that's never a, never heard about. That's a
0: Dino De Laurentiis production. It is. It is. Uh, know, it's Flash Gordon. So.
1: <laughs> All right. Uh, so anyway, uh, today's episode, um, we are staying in the realm of legendary, uh, with uh, one of their first. Uh, really, I guess this was their first big foray into kaiju monster mm-hmm. filmmaking yeah, or so at the, least the, the first year, big one the year before 20 I, I think this is definitely the planting of the flag that um these are the types of movies that we're that they're interested in making yeah. um and um and I and I believe it was cuz what's funny about this is that this came out when we knew, like, a Godzilla movie was in the works. Right. Um, and, of course, without further ado, like, just not to bury the lead too much, which I obviously didn't because it's in the title of the episode, as always, but today we're talking about the 2013 uh, Guillermo del Toro-directed Pacific Rim. Mm-hmm. Um, no monster kaiju podcast would be complete, I think, without talking about Pacific Rim because that's, like, the interesting thing about Pacific Rim Um And I mentioned this while we were watching the movie is that um, ultimately, um, aside from any like thoughts or opinions or anything, um, it definitely has made its mark. And and, like carved out that niche where it's like kind of everybody knows what it is and like, you know, kind of the conceit. And um, I, I wouldn't say that it's on like the same fame and iconic level as something like, you know, Godzilla or like some of these other monsters, uh, but definitely has easily carved out its little niche in pop culture.
0: I, I I would agree. I would agree. I think that Pacific Rim for all of its, you know, I'm sure we'll talk about its its success or lack of success or however you wanna wanna put it. But it definitely has that kind of the imagery of just like you kind of know exactly the type of movie it is. You know, it's giant monsters versus giant robots. You know, that's like the thing. Mm-hmm. So it's it's very much and especially within. You know, the kaiju community, I also think that for better, or for worse, again, varying opinions on the film, and we'll definitely talk about ours a little bit later, but it definitely has made its mark as, like, this is an entry into that kaiju world, mm-hmm. and this is a worthy entry to discuss and dissect and 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 talk about and remember, again, for better, or for
1: worse. And, and, and especially because up until this point, like, there definitely – there hadn't been any – major like the big kaiju monster movie it was something that there really wasn't a i don't want to say a market for but like th- this was kind of like the big like all right we're going to kind of reintroduce this into american blockbuster filmmaking i mean it is
0: very interesting to note that this is the year you know it comes out the year before the monsterverse truly yeah you right. know, begins because again it's just like again we're that's in a world where it's like, you know, people kind of know about the, the you know, kind of the Japanese trope of giant monsters and, and the guys in suits and everything like that. But in, in essence, you know, the American ideal of the giant monster movie are to an extent, you know, that 98 Godzilla and the Kong franchise. Right. And like the most otherwise, like the closest stuff is stuff like, you know, like Jaws and, mm. and, and stuff like that. You know? Yeah, and the only
1: one previously to this is like, like Cloverfield but, right. but but Cloverfield I don't think is really ever recognized as like giant monster right. movie. Right.
0: It's most noted for its found footage yeah. nature mm-hmm. than anything else.
1: Um so yeah, so uh it it, it was so a long a, time a, it's coming. A, it's
0: a very interesting thing and it's also I mean I'm sure we'll talk about it, but it's also definitely made by people who have a passion oh. for, yeah, for this this type of thing too. So it's kind of that beginning of bringing, you know, that love of those classic, you know, and it's also to be very distinct too. It's it's also a combination of two different tropes. It's that giant monster movie and that giant robot movie mm-hmm. because those are definitely two things that you know have some crossover at some point or another within you know Japanese cinema and te- Japanese television. But you know you really generally there's like two distinct pathways. Mm-hmm. You know you have your giant monsters, your giant robots. So kind of bringing them in together again, and you can definitely tell that there's. A love from del toro and his team that, that made this movie and and another
1: thing is to think about the timeline in which this came out like i said this came out in 2013 um so around even though the movie's production stems further back but if we're looking at the landscape when this movie comes out we kind of mentioned this during the uh 2014 godzilla episode but we're kind of entering a landscape at this time where the nerd property is uh rising right. um up at this point like i cause i think like let's be generous and say like with we always go back to iron man and the dark knight in yeah. 2008 and that's like the start of it yeah, for sure mm-hmm, and, and that's like the that's, big
0: that's what puts you know that's like kind of the origin story as mm-hmm. it were of where we are in our modern media landscape to for again for for better or for worse is that those plant the seeds and and build this world in which like you know the kind of nerd and and the things that we'd associate with with nerds mm-hmm. uh not geeks nerds <laughs> um i guess geeks do whatever
1: but uh, like like but silly the, sci-fi right. like conceits and concepts or are... right.
0: like the, this is like the thing where it's like those two movies, I, we we talked about it extensively in twenty fourteen. So if you want to, again, if you haven't heard twenty fourteen, we just had you know the the live, the live tweeting of it. It's a great episode, and we t- we go a lot deeper into kind of the world. But essentially, it's like Iron Man and the Dark Knight are like the two films where like you kind of go from oh, like these movies are. You know, like you know, they're gonna think that they're the thing. Like those movies were made in the '90s, it would definitely be like not taken seriously.
1: Yeah, I mean, but even if you go to early 2000s, I mean, you had like superhero movies, but right. now it's like, oh wait, not only like like not only are people coming out to see them, but like they're generally considered like to be great blockbusters, yeah. right. and like everybody wants more, and mm-hmm. and then so just the notion of and then. Let's also give credit where credits due. Guillermo del Toro with like the Hellboy films and like having a little bit of credit on un- and you know credits right. under his name with being able to handle material like that. Right. So you have this combination of a the very early stages of a budding trend in Hollywood yeah. as well as a director who I'm sure everybody wants and has the passion for the same and he, material. And a
0: director who wants to do every project. Yes.
1: <laughs> all right, we'll get there. We'll get we'll get there uh, pretty soon, actually. Uh, uh, so uh, let's talk about the movie. So uh, like I said, Pacific Rim came out in 2013, but its origin stem all the way back uh, till 2006. Um, so back in 2006... Um, we uh, we see uh, our director of the film, uh, Guillermo del Toro, was uh, teaming up with uh, screenwriter Travis Beachman uh, to adapt a fantasy screenplay called Killing on Carnival Row, but um, it was something that they met about. I don't have too much I don't have too much where it was supposed to be made or anything but it was just a movie that Guillermo del Toro was interested in pursuing and it was just something that never materialized uh, but the two had um, Beachman and del Toro had maintained a relationship uh, based off of that um, so after after that meeting where they met uh, Beachman went off and you know to uh, you know do his writerly things. I'm right. sure whatever writers do when projects don't uh, go off the Start ground. Start the but, next thing. Yeah. yeah. Um so uh, Beachman has this story of the of how he conceived of Pacific Rim uh, as he was walking down the the Santa Monica Pier. Um, which is something you can't do now. But <laughs> So, no, no one's getting any inspiration yeah. from the Santa Monica Pier in this day and age. Um, uh, but you've
0: ha- you have walked down the Santa Monica Pier. Yes, I have. I, I have, have done as it. well. Yeah, listeners may or may not have. But... I
1: have, but I haven't written Pacific Rim, so no. yeah, I can't I can't claim that. Uh, but anyway, so the story starts off with a Beachman walking down Santa Monica Pier, and um, it was a very hazy, foggy uh, day. And as he looked out in, into the shoreline, and you know, if you know Santa Monica Pier, it's kind of it's actually kind of like a nice, interesting kind of. Uh, coastal line because you have mountains on one side you have city in the other direction Uh, so as it was like uh, foggy and hazy uh, he just got the image of a giant monster uh, rising from like the from the ocean and uh, with that his imagination just went wild after that. And he's like, "Whoa, what if you had like, you know, robots? So, he, you know, just being kind of like a, a dork, like yeah. he's like, oh, like imagine like a monster rising from the sea and a robot, uh, coming, it, yeah. coming to fight him. Um, and then, uh, so just the notion of these two, as he would say, godlike beings fighting each other. Um, so that was just something that he was starting to kind of like jot down and just imagine. But then he got the idea. It's like, well, not only is it a robot, but what if there were people in that robot and they were fighting like the monster and, and then he started jotting down more ideas. And then after that, he's like, "Well, what if it took more than one person to make this robot, uh, or to uh, pilot this robot?" And so we came up with the idea of like, yeah, it it would definitely take two... more than two people to make. Yeah, it. <laughs> but piloting it is a more unique idea. He, so he came up with the idea that it would take two people inside the robot to pile uh, to pilot it, and then based um, off... oh, and then so he just started creating a story based off of that and writing what, down what ideas. Writers do, yeah. And essentially, what he did is he came up with the bare bones of the story of these two pilots and a robot fighting uh, a monster, and the battle goes wrong, and one of the pilots gets killed, and uh, the other pilot experiences some survivor guilt over that. So, this was it, from all reports, it seems like this was just always an idea, just the bare bones of that was something that he always had an interest in pursuing and was just in his pile of like writer ideas. And uh, it wasn't until a couple years later um, that um, he officially uh, submitted in a 25-page uh, treatment uh, for it um, that uh, eventually got handed in to Legendary because he had some connections with them and uh, Legendary liked the idea. And uh, they decided to take some steps to see if they could make a film. Out of this. Um, so, slipping back around off of Beachman onto one and only director Guillermo del Toro. Oscar winner. So, Late, not now, later. To talk about Guillermo del Toro, uh, a, a a definitely nerd darling uh, when it comes to filmmaking. Uh, nerd
0: with- darling and... Uh, he, he really does run the gamut of, like, he's definitely, like, a nerd darling because he you know has done the hellboy stuff and yeah. but he also is a film darling cuz he's definitely like you know you know noted as a great director like a, a film twitter favorite as mm. it were.
1: So at this point um you know some of his early films Chronos, Mimics, The Devil's Backbone uh making some of his mainstream superhero uh, credentials in 2002 with Blade 2 um hellboy obviously in 2004 and then 2006 pants labyrinth obviously it's yeah,
0: like that's kind of his big yeah. like, real coming out party. and then
1: um hellboy 2 uh, the golden army in 2008 so up at that point that kind of gives you an idea of like what his filmography is yeah. now nick you and i have often talked about guillermo del toro a little bit and So I I do want to split the conversation of Guillermo del Toro in two things. And I I think you'll find this, to be fair, a fair way of talking about him. Because there is a legitimate, as a director, his skill and craft, like, when he's actually making a film. Yes. That there's definitely that version of Guillermo, or that side of del Toro that Mm -hmm. you can talk about. Then you also have the director in the business of movie making. Not actual movie making, but, like... The business of attaching to projects and getting films made and like what he's producing, what is he writing, which is definitely a more winding, complicated conversation than, let's say, his filmmaking. So uh, let's start with the first one and just talk about Guillermo del Toro's filmmaking uh, and his filmography uh, up until that point And then going forward, um, you know, I might as well put it all on the table, uh, you know, his other films, Crimson Peak, Shape of Water, which is the film he ultimately won the uh, Academy Award for um so what 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 are your thoughts on Guillermo del Toro just as a as a filmmaker
0: in some ways like I'm not as as familiar with his early work as like I would say like like Peter Jackson or you know as I said I'm a big fan of young Peter Jackson but it kind of is in that similar realm I feel like where del Toro is this guy who definitely you know has has a relationship with kind of kind of that you know foreign filmmaker who definitely does a lot of smaller really interesting projects you know finds himself getting bigger and bigger in scope and scale um i think he's i i think like when he gets a film to direct you know especially something he's truly interested in which you know he's interested in a lot of things but like when he when he when he really dives into something he's interested in stuff like you know the hellboy films um pacific rim i think is, is among them, and I even think The Shape of Water is just, like, something he's passionate about. He just really brings, like, an emotion, and, you know, and that sense of scale, even if it's, like, a smaller thing, like, The Shape of Water is, like, a smaller, in comparison, to like, stuff like Pacific Room and Hellboy, but he still brings that kind of classic, you know, 40s sense of scale of, like, a you know, that kind of monster movie thing to that film, and it really works, and i think he's one of those people who's he's fun to listen to talk about films and talk about his movies and other movies uh, I think he works great with actors and like every actor that I know that's talked about working with El Toro, just, you know, he's like a sweetheart and he's like mm-hmm. someone you love, you know, you dream of working with. He's just like a great, like people's director.
1: Yeah. I saw him on stage at Hall H and it was just, it, it was just a blast. Just the his personality was so infectious and he just, and then, you know, and everything you ever hear about him, whether it be through commentaries or interviews, he's just, he just seems like such like a fun dude and then like in terms of like his films yeah i would say i i'm a i'm a fan of of his films i love both of the hellboy films um i think hellboy one is great i and hellboy two the golden army is a lot of fun like that's a solid fun yeah. movie um and then um i liked shape of water just like most people pan's labyrinth obviously is great um and then um i haven't gone back i have seen mimic um which kind of is in that early like you know one of his early little monster yeah. films and you know it's fun um but yeah he you know and then in terms of like style and the type of filmmaker he is you know he's definitely a he's more in that realm of in, in some ways he's very similar to tim burton in terms of yeah. like having a really distinct tone that sets his films yeah. off. Like, I mean, you know, Del Toro, for the most part, the most cliche version of him is that he uh, he tends to imbue his films with, like, that grim fairy tale gothic uh, sensibilities. And even does so even in his more fun movies like there's definitely like this dark tangibility to everything yeah. that he does and he
0: definitely like as much as he can he likes you know he's someone who really like if he can get like a great like makeup job or practical thing. yeah he, like, he's he, a
1: big advocate of the makeup and practicals and right. stuff um, um though you know he but it's funny because like you know i i it, it is funny how much he advocates for that but then also how much like visual effects work too like, like i, in, I, I in think he's film. a good mix yeah. but it's
0: like you know like ha- like you think about like hellboy pans labyrinth the shape yes. of water oh, yeah. like w- those films are known for like their costumes and makeup and mm-hmm. you know like the the ron perlman design of of hellboy and you know the the the, the fish guy yeah you know? and he and he's
1: definitely uh, he he's definitely a craftsman uh he were in terms of like and, and the type i like where he's like one of those filmmakers where i think most of the directorial energy is like how to present this in the most like magical way that I possibly can. And yeah. definitely wears his heart. His movies have the heart on the sleeve. Yes. yes. At That's why I kind of mean. He's a
0: very emotional in yeah. that sense. I and mean, you can feel his passion for the material, and anything that he, you yeah. know, that he puts out. Cause yeah. you can feel like, you know, I think it's, it's very true of this movie. It's very true of stuff like Pan's Labyrinth and Hellboy. Um, you know, even like I haven't seen Crimson Peak which is him right mm-hmm. yeah i haven't seen it but even just from the trailers of that you can just tell that like the material is like something he's really wants to delve into because it's something he just he loves to put himself out there and like he his films are him and mm-hmm. i think that's one of his greatest strengths
1: and, and well what was also interesting is like he grew up with his two of his best filmmaking friends are uh um Afonso Coron yeah. and uh Ineratu. yeah um and uh it's interesting, like when I find out that he was super buddies with them, it's interesting the, like the, uh, just the diagram of like of the like comparison yeah, between the, the two comparing them because what, I would say like Del Toro is the most like us. Like he's like the huge nerd, like him growing up with movie, like he's been very open. Like his whole, he loves the Ray Harryhausen films. He loves monster films, universal monster Godzilla film. Like he's all about like the, the creepy monster schlocky B B movie yeah. stuff like that. That's the stuff he legitimately has a love for. Uh, Quran is one of those guys. I think he kind of like has one foot in, in uh one world and the other of like trying sometimes doing a like kind of prestige picture but also not really minding get doing a blockbuster here or there and uh Ineratu is definitely like you know Oscar filmmaker yeah. like you know just pursuing but it's interesting that like that they're that they're such good friends um I don't know there was a reason I brought that up and I don't remember why um
0: they but- both made v- vocal cameos in and- quantum of solace they did who? yeah uh del toro and uh quran i told you this on the pot on that episode
1: which one well i don't remember that was quantum so of solace yeah well that's so long ago i don't remember
0: uh if i remember del toro voices a helic it's a like vocal cameo so del toro voices a helicopter pilot and i believe quran i forget who he voices they might be another helicopter pilot or something like that oh
1: okay um. Also, another r- weird fact about Dottor. I found out. Did you know that? Uh, when hold on, th- this is a weird story. Back in 1997, his father was kidnapped. Do no. you hear about this? No. So his father was kidnapped. Um, back when um when they lived in Guadalajara, and they basically had to pay the ransom, and. And Del Toro was friends with James Cameron at the time yeah. because um, I, I think James Cameron was like a producer on Kronos or something okay. like that. They had met during that time, so they were buddies. So James Cameron like gave a portion of the ransom money to help get the father back. So then they got the father back, um, and then it was James Cameron. <laughs> oh, <who> kidnapped- <laughs> uh, so. Um, so he, so they got the father back, but the but the kidnappers were never found and never apprehended, um, and because of that, it prompted like Del Toro and his family to move abroad. Uh, so they moved out of Guadalajara. Jesus. And Del Toro, I, I don't know if he's jokingly says this or not, but he's always like he he always feels sad because he feels like he can never go back. <laughs> He like feels like the risk is God, too that's, great. That's, that's a good turn. <laughs> that, that's a that's such a straight. But he did get his father back. Like, <laughs> yeah, you know, that's I mean it. the father,
0: is alive and good on James Cameron. Yeah. You know, he was saving all that money for the Avatar films, uh-huh. and uh, you know he was, like, he had all that Titanic money ready to go. Basically, this was like ninety-seven, so just before all that Titanic money mm-hmm. fell into his pocket. Oh,
1: I, I do remember why I was saying this because you have like certain filmmaker, like you know, you have like the certain filmmaker that is like the big, like oh, like interweaving stories with like big, like ideas and yeah. like huge thematics and like mm-hmm. being that type of filmmaker, which Del Toro does. But if you have like an Ineratu, which is definitely like, yeah, have you seen the any cliche of, like inter- any I'm, of Ineratu's films? Yeah, and I'm saying this as a like quote-unquote like r- eye-rolling cliche. So picture that while I'm saying this but the thinking man's film yeah. del Toro's the more like like where inira to a director like him wants to tell you a movie like it's like a grown-up novel like del Toro wants to tell you a movie as if it's like a storybook before you're going to bed is how I would compare like, yeah the two. like
0: inatu Makes Birdman, yeah. as like an exploration of a man's psyche, yeah. like an actor's psyche, and
1: puts uh, sub the and adds to the title the unexpected virtue
0: of ignorance, right? Whereas Del Toro would actually make the movie about Birdman, <laughs> <laughs> it's the true. superhero that's fictional. Oh, in the that's world.
1: amazing! That that's that's one hundred percent correct. I yeah. love that. Um, oh, and so. Kind of go, but you know, this is mostly what I did want to talk about. Um, was so there's that side we talked about him as the filmmaker, but the other side that you always joke about is Guillermo del Toro as the filmmaker, for lack of a better term, in the system. Because one of the things about Guillermo del Toro that I think we should mention extremely ambitious. Yes, and he definitely is a super imaginative in. Doesn't necessarily want to. He. It never struck me as he wants. He clashes creatively. Right. It's just like he clashes. He doesn't want to compromise because sometimes his vision is way too big yeah. than what somebody yeah. else wants to give him. Yes. Like honestly, money for. Mm-hmm.
0: And that budget. Le- yeah, it's a, lot of, a lot of times. It's
1: yeah, budget. and that leads to this other thing we joke about with Guillermo, Guillermo del Toro, which is like how you would say
0: he basically attaches himself to anything yeah it seems it seems like he attaches himself to any project he has some interest in Mm -hmm. and the thing is you always hear about Guillermo del Toro's gonna make this Haunted Mansion movie Guillermo del Toro's gonna make you know this Pinocchio movie which I guess he is actually making. Yeah. Um but Guillermo del Toro was going to make Justice League Dark. Yeah, he's yeah, going to yeah. make Justice League Dark and he's going to do another superhero thing. He was going to
1: make he was going to do The Hobbit.
0: Yeah, he was For gonna... the longest All time. Right, yeah, he was That like... was like the big one. He was yeah. like it was going to be like the Peter
1: Jackson was giving it off to Guillermo del Toro to do the Hobbit. That was like, and these are a like these are like the big
0: things yeah. that he's left. But, and, the, and but it's the thing different
1: is- than most of these things. Like you always hear, like, oh, they're in talks for. It always feels like del Toro's like jumping I'm, on board. I'm doing
0: this. Yeah, at least and that's the, and the, the thing vibe is I get about it. it though. Is like these are all like the big ones that we can instantly remember. But the other thing about del Toro is he, he's someone who like if there's like an, like it even seems like if there's like an interesting like book you know, that they're making a movie out of, he'll put himself on that, or, like, a smaller time comic book. It's basically, like, there was, at one point, it's probably still around, there was an actual website that was, like, you know, this many days since Guillermo del Toro left the project. It was, like, one of those things where it's, like, he just seemed like he was attaching himself to so much that you kind of, like, at some point, you're like, well, he's going to leave at least three of these because he just doesn't have the time. To, to kind of give you an idea, and, and to be fair, I don't want to pick on
1: him too much for this because a lot of directors have yeah. this type of credit. But when you look at, like, his director credits, it's kind of the films, the handful of films that you already know. Right. But he has so many writing and, and writing and producer credits. So, like, on IMDb, he's officially uh, credited as director for um 22 credits and some of the and some of them are just like shorts and and some tv that he did very early on in his career yeah and then like things like um like the pacific rim jaeger pilot oculus rift experience like things yeah, like that yeah um but like as a producer you know he's he's been he has his hand in a bunch of stuff like most recently scary stories to tell in the dark troll hunters uh uh he, he uh he he has a, a producer credit on kung fu panda three <laughs> what i didn't even know that um mama so like a bunch of de- like he was he's like one of those names that a bunch of um right. horror movies come out like it's like oh from like producer guillermo del toro like yeah. he, he's kind of like that he's like a he's um yeah that that's just to kind of give you an idea His just like name is attached to a lot yeah. and his name gets thrown around yeah. a lot.
0: And it's even like a lot of times it very much is as much as I joke about it. He does genuinely like if it's a project that he leaves, there's are a lot of times where it's like, well, he'll stay on as a producer or still guide it. Yeah. It's just like, I think the thing about Del Toro um, well, is like, the thing about him is I do think it's very much like the vision. And I don't think it's like the creative thing. I just very much think because I think the when you look at the films that he's made, You know, that collection of the features that he's done, it's always seems like, you know, it's you never hear really with Del Toro is like, oh, well, this movie that came out like wasn't really like, you know, he wasn't able to do everything he wanted to do. Most of the time when you hear about like, you know, Pacific Rim and Shape of Water and Pan's Labyrinth and Hellboy and and Crimson Peak, it's always like, well, this is the movie Del Toro wanted to make. That's like it's all there you know whether it's like good or bad is like up to the audience to decide but like again like you know all those movies are like del toro is like all of it and i feel like he really is someone who he he he, he doesn't have qualms with just like if it's if i'm not the person to do this you know then he'll you know move on yeah i mean and- because I, because again he has lots of things that he's interested in doing like, he's very much someone who is, like, he, he he has his hands in everything, and then eventually he falls into, like, the thing he's actually going to do.
1: Yeah, I, and there's one exception to that rule that we'll talk about in a minute, but, like, I think the big one we do have to mention is Hellboy 3, which I think has been very transparent in it didn't happen because he just wanted a lot of money for the movie. Yeah. And Well, the-
0: I mean, but again, that's the thing. It's just, like, I think, like, if that's... You know, it's always a lot of times I feel like it is just the budget thing. Where it's just like they could make the movie work. It's just right. like Del Toro wants to make it his movie. He wants to make it purely his vision. And I think there are directors who are willing to compromise. And I just think Del Toro is just not someone who's you know, who needs to compromise because again, he has so many things he's his, his head is bursting with ideas. Right. And like when, again, when it's like, whether it's a superhero thing or a, or a horror book or whatever it may be or some good idea that's pitched to him, a script he reads, if, if he reads something that inspires him in any way, there's an immediate like, this is the movie. Right. I feel like that's the thing with El Toro. And I, I just feel like, you know, there are disappointments to be sure. I'm sure he's very, you know, I'm not putting it lightly that, like, he wasn't able to do Hellboy 3 because, you know, right. clashes with the money and, and budget and stuff like that. But I also think he's someone who is, like, if he has to move on to something else he's interested in, well, he's someone who has that direction. Or right. it's like, he's, you know, like other directors that, like, like his his comrades, like Inaratu you know, is ma- mostly, you know, doing stuff that he's interested in too, but it's not like, you know, it's just like, he seems like he has like a singular, like, this is the movie I'm making mm-hmm. and I'm going to, you know, push forward that movie. Whereas like, Toro's more like, well, if I can't do Hellboy 3, then I will jump into maybe this other project. Right, right. Well, for me, it's like, it- it's so funny because I-
1: I've always been sympathetic to this point. Like, I always feel bad because it's like, because I feel like, I-, I mean, I will kind of side on just from what I hear. I don't think he's like, always broken up about every single movie that doesn't happen no, but no, I no. do think you know I feel bad because he clearly really wanted to make Hellboy 3 yeah. I mean, I'm sure he wanted to make all was, those movies he was campaigning but he was campaigning for Hellboy 3 albeit like just short of it being a desperate type of way like but like he didn't and he never got that bad yeah. but he definitely was like I remember at Comic Con he was a big like like being its biggest champion and showing that like you know the audience is cheering for it and like he was trying to make the best possible case for them to green light the movie but on the other hand it's just like apparently i don't know what the budget was but i mean do you want to like i can understand the hesitance to give an exorbitant budget to the hellboy series which listen like we, we may be fans of, but it's not like wasn't an the, Iron Man movie. It was not like, the biggest gangbusters. Yeah. And and
0: like, you could argue, it's one of those things where you could argue that, like, in the era, you know, maybe it's like, oh, like, comic book movies are, are bigger. Like, there's a, there's a whole bunch of things, but at the end of the day, those two Hellboy movies are not like big money makers. Yeah. Like, they just weren't. And, and it would be like, and
1: it would be like if, like, like can I have like a can I have like a 200 million dollar budget for Tron 3? Like <laughs> like As much and, as we both as love As much Tron... as you and me would want that and it, and it kind of I have heard whispers re- recently that it, that that flame hasn't died out quite quite yet. Um, Listen, it, 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 has... it's dying, but the flame is still light. there's a spark there, Nick. Don't take the spark away from me. We are me. the spark. <laughs> we are the spark that but... will light the hope for Tron 3. Well, there are... But but it's like yeah. but I would be foolish to expect that it's gonna a sequel the- to a niche movie that did not do well and, and is really only regarded for a niche audience, yeah. let's give that a $200 million budget.
0: Yeah. I... I- or can, we, you know, we yeah. or like again, they decide we can reboot it for a much lower amount of money, right. And like try to make it gritty, right? Yeah. So, um,
1: so anyway, so that was a kind of our long-winded. Um, but he's
0: a good director. Yeah.
1: I, that. But ultimately, that's the thing. He he really is a good director. Uh, he, he has an extremely good visual style, and he seems um, like a nice guy. And he just seems like a nice guy. What 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 more? What more do you want? Well, maybe you could want Hellboy three, but yeah. you ain't getting that. Um. So. This takes us all the way until like we went so through Beachman through Del Toro. This takes us to 2010, in which Del Toro was attached. Speaking of a movie, he was attached to direct an adaptation of H.P. Lovecraft's "At the Mountains of Ah," "At the Mountains of Madness." Yeah, it's another. I remember Universal that was an- another
0: one that he was like on and off for such a long time. Too. Uh,
1: it was Universal Studios, produced by James Cameron, uh, which would have starred your favorite Tom Cruise. Um, in in a lead role. Um, and uh, at one point during the during the production of the pre production of that film, uh, Del Toro had met with Legendary, uh, to po- to talk about the possibility of working on a different film. And um, the treatment for Beachman's Pacific Rim, uh, came came up. Um, and I think at that point it wasn't called Pacific Rim yet. It was called oh no 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 I was gonna say it was called Still Seas, but I think that was the working title yeah. like the 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 what do you call it like the fake the, production the, t- the fake production title yeah um but anyway so that came up they had already met Beachman and him um ha- had already kind of known each other so there was a relationship there um so Del Toro was interested in that treatment in that pitch and said like he thought it was a simple and quick and effective pitch and uh, he would he wanted to be involved in it in some way uh, so he actually went ahead and said like hey listen I, he wanted to strike a deal with um that he would help um, produce and co-write some of the film, like right. going forward as they found a director. Uh, but they also, because he was already obligated with Universal, he, they did make a deal, though, that if for some reason uh, at the at the Mountains of Madness didn't happen, that he would come on, that he would agree to come on to direct it. So that was, um, so in, you know that movie didn't happen. <laughs> so, uh, he yeah. hopped
0: it, It's like, uh, when I say like, just to go back real quick. Like when I say a lot of those types of movies, there are a lot of those kind of like Lovecraft or other kind of like horror, slight horror. Oh, you know.
1: Oh, actually I, am I'm, I'm, I'm burying the lead on this. The reason it didn't happen was because universal did not budge on the budget that he wanted. And D- del Toro really felt that it needed to be an R rated film. And they also didn't want to do that either. Um, but yeah, it was supposed to be like and that was like a 150 million dollar budget that they just didn't want to move on. And then in in uh 2011 it became clear that the movie wasn't happening. And Del-, Del Toro has actually said like this was one that he was actually pretty upset about. Like that he this was definitely a imagine. loss uh that he he really he really I felt think, that one.
0: I think like if he it's what that's another but again I, just, I feel like the passion like it's just like that's him because That's the type of movie where if that gets made, I feel like that's definitely, like, a classic. Like, that's definitely getting a 4K release. Like, enough Mm -hmm. that people would want to buy it. Um, Especially, I feel like, at that point, like, if you kind of went to, like, now... I just feel like he would have nailed that movie,
1: mm. and uh, so with so then pretty much within the next week, uh, because they had already made the deal, he hopped on and directing duties on uh, Pacific Rim, and uh, got started uh, doing his own additions to the screenplay and producing the movie went along as uh, scheduled. Uh, a couple other writers came on to do a few uh, rewrites on the film. Um, the uh, one of the writers on. Um, uh, on the del toro produced film mama which was the jessica chastain yeah. horror film yeah. um came on to write and um and uh del toro added a couple of his own ideas to the film specifically um the he always wanted to see because he again as a big monster movie fan uh he had his own ideas of what he would want to do in a monster movie two of the ideas would be uh, a monster attack through the um, eyes of a little girl was uh, was a big scene he wanted to add in the movie, and a kaiju birth was another scene that he really wanted. He's always wanted to see uh, in a in a monster film. Um, so the one thing about uh, so the one thing about this production was. Um, that it was a it was a tad bit shorter than what he was normally used to on the films that he was uh, originally making initially making. Yeah. so they the production had to really, really work the schedule because the one thing that del Toro did not want to he did not want to give up any of the control in the sense that he felt that he, was okay with having different divisions of the of the film, of the the production happen without him, but everything had to get approved by him. Yeah. So he was very much open to working his schedule around, like, listen, like, if you have to do this on, like, my off day, do that. Like, if you have to schedule half days for me to be here in another way, and if you can't, that's fine, but then you gotta, like, show me, like, what you're doing, and, like, that was the one thing that he was very much, like, you know, and he was honest about it. He's like, at no point do I want something about this movie not to go through me yeah. um and uh and, and you know and i and i think um i think that's really i think that's really fair um one of the other things that made it a little bit uh initially uh difficult was uh del toro had no interest in filming in 3d because they remember that was like the big that was thing. yeah that
0: was that was in like that was in like the end of the peak era of 3d because i feel like like that next two years like 2014 2015 like kind of the the rebirth of 3d kind of like ended mm-hmm. you know or is just like you know and then i think we transitioned into the imax screenings yeah. and and dolby digital and all that sort of stuff but like 20 2008 to 2012 like 2013 like that big yeah rock. this
1: was still during the era where captain America's shield was being thrown at the screen in a clear 3d shot yeah. like yeah. that that was like still during the 3d, during this the 3D time. money shot yes as it were um so he was very open like he did he had no interest in uh making him like shooting the movie to be 3d so they pushed for it he didn't want it um but then at the last minute um they decided to convert the film into 3d regardless uh at guillermo del toro's approval and guillermo del toro was like essentially like hey screw me i changed my mind yeah. <laughs> he's like he's like i'm, well, I'm uh... sure
0: like I, i'm also part of it's probably like he shot the movie so now there's <laughs> no chance that they will go for the like oh have a robot punch the screen mm-hmm. you know i'm sure at some point he's fighting for it so they don't like force him to do that stuff then he can direct the movie he wants to make and then hey make it gonna convert it you know
1: 3D. Um, so, in terms of like the actual making of the movie and what Del Toro was bringing to the movie and the story that he wanted to tell, um, there were there were two major sides to it. There's obviously the visual effects and monster side that we'll get to in a minute, but then there was also like the the human and the story level yeah. side,
0: like any monster movie. Yeah,
1: and uh, Del Del Toro uh, very much responded to Beachman's original pitch about like the two pilots and the survivors' guilt and all that, but really. Uh, took more interest into the whole notion of what we would find out later in the movie to be called this drift compatibility yeah. with each other in which the two pilots have to make this uh, neural uh, neurological uh, very intimate connection with each other the neural handshake yeah it, yeah that's what that's what it's called right yeah in the film yeah. is, or is that in this film or yes. is that yeah, yeah okay. I just in, I forgot I forgot yeah, the, it's yeah. in,
0: I, we just watched it well
1: you know I just remember the drift part <laughs> I just remember the drift compatible part well, um, would we be drift compatible? Uh, yeah, I think so. Okay. I feel like we've kind of. Because I think, like, it it ultimately was like if you kind of figured out what's going on, if you know enough of the other person, I think it's fine. Yeah. Yeah. Because I think we would be good.
0: Would you be willing to get in my side of my head?
1: They don't ever seem to, like, that be that big of an issue. Like, it's like, unless you're, like, keeping secrets from me, like. You never know. Well, no, because. Well, we'll get into the mechanics of how that works in a minute. Um, so um you know and so del toro yeah and del toro really loved just that element of like you know very intimately not only connecting the characters with each other but connecting the human characters to the monster action Mm -hmm. which he felt definitely was like a unique chance for this movie because obviously in movies like this that's always a challenge is how do you connect the puny humans to the big monsters in in an effective way and he thought that um that. And then obviously uh he thought um that just the the messages of cooperation and world uh um the world banding together for a common threat was a big inspiration for him. The biggest thing for Del Toro in this movie was he was very very adamant that he wanted to make this movie that like families and kids enjoyed. Mm-hmm. Uh he he wanted it to have like a real world scale and sense to it that adults could enjoy, but he was very persistent that, you know, this needs to resonate with kids. Like, you know, it's a big, like he was one of those people, like there's this story that almost every character had like an arc and like, there was so much more detail about like every single character in, in this film. And then he, he felt, and we can talk about whether this be better or for worse that, he cut it out. Uh, like he didn't mind cutting a lot of the stuff out because he took that approach of like, listen, we're not doing the Iliad. We're making like a, we are making like a robots beating up monsters. It's a, it's a,
0: it's a movie where a robot like pulls a sword out of its butt. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So it's like, and so I, I I need, I, I would, I would rather focus on the appeal that family and kids can have to that than like try to get like super existential with it. Mm -hmm. was kind of like uh del Toro's, um, uh, was uh, his thing but one of the interesting things i I, I saw about it was um that uh del toro uh is often he's self-described himself uh, as a pacifist in weird ways uh which I always think is funny when you like look at his movies but in, in a but not also not as surprising because his he seems to well also I don't think he equates the kind of like the gothic horror and violence to like actual real, world violence yeah. so I think he keeps a lot of that stuff in but there's a lot in his movies where he definitely does demonize war and violence and like that is always on the fringes of like no the war and the violence it, like, is fundamentally the bad like yeah. you know he's not full on pacifist where he's like you know he's having Hellboy hug the golden army like he's just but the fact that there is a golden army is, is a problem is, is a problem yeah, in yeah. The first so, but yeah um so um when talking about but when talking about just uh kind of like the uh sorry I am lost in my notes right here um okay when uh when talking about uh the monster attacks he didn't want something he he didn't want something like really all that destructive and soulless about the monster action in the film. Uh, this is a quote from him i don't want I don't want people being crushed. I want the joy that I used to get to see Godzilla toss a tank without having to think that there are hey, there are guys in that tank. What I think is you could do what what I think is you could do nothing but echo. Uh, the moment that you're in. There is a global anxiety about how fragile the status quo is and the safety of citizens. But in my mind, honestly, this film is in another realm. There is no correlation to the real world. There is no fear of a copycat Kaiju attack because a Kaiju saw it on the news and said, I'm gonna destroy Seattle. In my case, I'm picking up a tradition once that started right after World War II and was a coping mechanism in a way for Japan to heal the wounds of that war and it's integral for a kai it's integral for a Kaiju to rampage in the city uh so that's very fascinating and, and interesting yep. and there's definitely here's yeah. what I would so, say yeah I think that there is always a case and I'm very open-minded to always hearing the cases of that you know the whole all art is a political thing, and then, like, you know, no matter what you're kind of putting in your movie, like, there there is a real-world
0: parallel. I mean, there's always going to be some sort of point of view, is, yeah. like, the argument. It's just but like, that, even if you're trying not to make a point of view, that could be a point of view in and of itself, yeah. that sort of thing.
1: But that being said, I tend to go on the del Toro side of things unless the movie is actively trying to do something else. Yeah. Like, I'm the guy where it's like, listen, there's a certain leniency to... You know, I don't like ultimately the movies do this, but like I I can't I don't think you can necessarily demonize like the third act of like The Avengers because a guy may have been in that car. Like, you know what I mean? Like yeah. it's like, you know, you if you stop and think about every time like, oh, mm-hmm. like somebody probably died in that explosion, like the fantasy of it is well, taken in, so you kind of have to compartmentalize the two.
0: Yeah, I mean, to me it's always like the comparison is just like it's more so the actions, like every individual thing, it's just like any Sort of disaster, but like I always use the comparison for me, and I don't want to get too far into this. But like the Avengers, it's like, yeah, there's definitely collateral damage, but the whole point of them is like they're saving people, you know, they're right. they're they're going out of the way to save people, even if like in some way they can't save everybody, you know. Um, you know, we that's what Civil War is about, right? Uh, but then but but, but but to kind of keep, but it... then there's like stuff like Man of Steel, which is just like, yeah, disaster porn. Well.
1: I think a better, I think a better example for this podcast would be like when you look at something like, and it's funny how he makes the distinction like, how there is a there is a time for like your original nineteen fifty four Godzilla right. where well, that is the yeah. point, but like we've made a difference between something like GMK. I was about to make this comparison, yeah, so it's like is, if you do like
0: GMK versus like later Showa era, yeah, or even within the Showa era itself. If you like look at like something like Hedorah versus Mecha Godzilla, like. You know, you, there's definitely room for both of those types of movies. Or if you're looking at like GMK versus that Mechagodzilla movie, it's like there's definitely room for both of that types of movie. He just kind of wants to make the one that's more just about the cool monster fun, mm-hmm. yeah. And less the one of, that's like you know going out this way to show the horrors of pollution yeah. and 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 the revenge of World War Two. Yeah, and. and-
1: And especially this first quote, like, he's like, he wants to – I want the joy you used to get when you see Godzilla toss a tank. And and I think that there is validity to that, especially if you're aiming this towards kids. Because I think that there is a level that we all need to be open to, especially with kids, is that there's a level of just action figure play. Like, where it's like, really, you just want to take – the bad guy monster and the good monster, and you just want to have them. You like, want to have them clash, clash with each other, yeah. and then it's like, what if the good guy monster like picked up like a building and then threw it like a spear, like yeah. in something? You can definitely
0: like, tell that they, like Del Toro is trying to recreate that like the majesty of viewing those films. As oh, and the the, kid. In- the, innocence of and the innocence of it too. Of I would too. say. because again, like. He's definitely growing up with, like, that Showa era. Like, you definitely see like that's, like, the type of Godzilla movie that he is most familiar with. Mm -hmm. That, like, kind of Showa era from, like, King Kong onward, essentially, is, like, what, you know, that kind of image of Godzilla that he definitely has. Um, Because he was definitely, you know watching those growing up. And then by the time that he's making movies in the nineties, that's like the Hacey era and he's dealing with his father getting kidnapped. So he's definitely not watching uh, <laughs> like uh, destroyer or anything like that. But, uh,
1: that's funny. But yeah, I, and I, I definitely appreciate that approach to the film. And, and the last thing we'll talk about is the other side of the equation of making this film. And that is the actual creation of the, uh, creatures and the visual effects of the film. Uh, so obviously from, as you know, Nick, and as anybody who's listening to the podcast uh, knows Pacific Rim knows, that there are two major factions within the world yeah. of Pacific Rim. There are the Kaiju, Kaiju, which are the monsters, and the Jaegers, yes. which are the, essentially giant the, mechs. Yeah, the yeah, robots. Yeah. yeah. Um, so when... Um, ah, damn my um, I need my notes! Um, so... Um, One of the first things uh, first, actually, before getting into those is when Del Toro was talking about the visual style of the film is that he wanted uh, the visuals uh, to really have this theatrical, operatic and romantic feel to all of them. So Mm -hmm. when it came to the lighting, he wanted it to have this theatrical uh, sense to it when it came to like something like the oceans and things like that, that he wanted to have um just this very beautiful quality uh to everything going on, this very deliberate, artful uh movement to everything that's going on. Which when you look at Dia De del Toro's films, especially as his career goes on, uh it's that's definitely um uh like present in, mm-hmm. in, in his work. Yeah. Um so that's just kind of like the general visual effect nature of the film. So when coming to design the creatures, uh he didn't really he... He based some of his inspiration on because and they ultimately get a thanks in the movie to Ray Harryhausen and Ashiro Honda. Yeah. Like that that was like the ultimate kind of like core starting point for everything. Yeah. But he did also admit that he didn't want to just make a new version of right, what those yeah. things have yes, done. Yes, exactly. So he I can definitely see that. So he was very much like he's like, I don't want to make like a uh, interpretation of like the Godzilla films. I don't want to make like my own Ray Harryhausen film. It's like the idea is to have a film that loves all of those things, but is ultimately its 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 own thing. Uh, so, uh, really, uh, the the art inspiration uh, one of the more famous ones was from uh, Francisco Goya's uh, The Colossus, um, which um, is like I'm going to show it to Nick, just kind of like very monumental, uh, mm-hmm. giant creature in like the horizon uh, type art, um, and. Uh, and also that goes all the way to Beachman's original pitch for the film is just like this image and fog and haze of like these creatures, like rising up in the, in the horizon. And, uh, so just that general sense of like scale and comparing like the mere mortals to the, to like the giant gods was yeah. kind of like the starting point for a lot of the, for a lot of the creatures. Um, so in terms of the, uh, the creatures and the Kaiju, um, there were over 100 kaiju and 100 jaegers designed for the film and actually over the course of pre-production uh the entire production crew held as del toro would call it an american idol uh for each of the creatures where they would literally go through this whole tourney stack of like all right which one all right, here's, like, all these kaiju, here's all these Jaegers, which which ones go? Which ones do we like? Which ones we don't like? So then they would slowly, over the course of production, take more and more and more off the board until they came down to a finite amount that, that were feasible for the film. And I think Del Toro had uh, had said, like, there were, there were opportunities where, you know, he would have liked more, but was more than willing to concede that, like, you know, realistically, for story and money purposes, we can't have every single kaiju. Right, you can't
0: do, like, 100 kaiju in the movie. You know, this is not Avengers Endgame. You can't just cast all those kaiju. I mm-hmm. gotta make some cuts somewhere. Uh,
1: and then in terms of designing uh, the Jaegers, um, obviously uh, there was a lot of focus in making the um, the the cockpits that the two pilots were in, that there were multiple versions of that built. There was a life-size version of each one of them built for the actual actors, and then there were partial sets used for certain bits in, in the film. There's like kind of like this um, flashback transition scene that we see with one of our main characters later on in the film, so a partial set was made for that transition and um and then smaller versions of the set were made for some sort of miniature work just to like kind of like not like true miniature work but just like stuff to like uh um help out with like some of the effects help visualize and make sure yeah um and then in terms of the jaegers themselves they kind of took a an approach of Um, kind of the conceit of the film where all the Jaegers come from different places and uh, therefore you know they're kind of designed in a way that you know had to uh, emulate that so for instance uh, the russian Jaeger in the film mm-hmm. um because you know there's a lot of like oh the russia and russia's like history with like you know nuclear material and stuff so it looks like a giant smokestack like mm-hmm. a, and, like in a russian nuclear factory like something like that so those were kind of like the right. the yeah. the deal with Definitely. how they made them on the opposite side um the um and on the opposite side the kaiju uh took a whole different approach where the idea was to give them This alien, uh, non-earthly, but very uniform look between them where they all had to look like they were kind of of the same ilk but didn't want them too much to look like. Because he didn't want to... The biggest thing that del Toro wanted to avoid was... He wanted to avoid like making them like the Godzilla creatures, where you have things like it's just a giant lobster or it's just a yes. giant lizard. Mm-hmm. He wanted to make them their own unique type of animal. But the other little detail I liked is that he didn't want any of them, other than like obvious like weapons and qualities and like uh, like traits that they had. He didn't want them to have any sort of unique features such as like scars or like. Any sort of like personalization to like keep them apart other than their bigger design because the reason being is that as we get into the film that the whole history behind them is that they are bred for one specific purpose so he essentially he wanted them to all have a unique look but have no history behind yeah. them okay which I thought was a very interesting way of uh of going of going about it um and then um and then I think that the best, uh, the best uh, part to end on is uh, going back to the Jaegers and talking about some of the specific Jaegers. Uh, obviously, we have our main Jaeger, which is uh, uh, Gypsy Danger. Uh, that's the American Jaeger. Uh, which was, um, the design was based a little bit off of, like, New York City's Arc Deco building, such as, like, the Chrysler building and the Empire State building, and also had um, some World War II fighter jet qualities uh, to it. Uh, fun fact, though, is that um, the Australian Jaeger, uh, Striker Eureka, was originally going to be the main Jaeger, of the film Mm -hmm. and while del toro loved the design felt that it was too cold of a design for it um for you know because that that jaeger is very much like uh you know it's battle ready it's got the giant spikes coming out of its back and like or like the wings and stuff uh and then ultimately they ended up on gypsy danger just because he felt it was it, it had a slightly more kind of like um personable quality to the underdog kind of yeah a little bit yeah because when you look at like the design of gypsy danger it's very bare bones like when you look at some of the other ones like what these other these other names are great like uh, cherno alpha and uh, crimson typhoon and like all these like types of crazy names that only get crazier as this series goes on um that they all have lots of gizmos and gadgets and very unique looks to them gypsy danger very much just looks like giant robot man with like especially the story
0: that it's an older model Mm -hmm. and and you know definitely has like different uh qualities based on what they were building at that time so Mm -hmm. i definitely think that's the right decision and to an extent like gypsy danger does kind of have that yeah it kind of has that kind of iconic underdog look Mm -hmm. uh for the film
1: so uh so with all that said, I mean you know this this was a film that was very eagerly awaited when it when it came out I mean like the biggest thing our, was I, like it's,
0: it was it was in our group it was definitely very yeah. hyped up
1: yeah I mean you know I should say that it was generally hyped up in in our circles, but I think the biggest thing was like Guillermo del Toro film darling for film for you know uh you know the filmmakers and for the nerds like and making this original like giant. Monster blockbuster, uh, which at the time, like, you know, the whole, like, big robots fighting big monsters uh, was a little, was pretty novel, at least for, like, an American giant blockbuster. For for a feature film. Yeah. For a feature film. Uh, You
0: definitely could see it in, like, versions of it in, like, stuff like Power Rangers and stuff like mm -hmm. that, you know, um, and some, like, anime that had made its way over. Mm -hmm. But, like, for for a major, like, blockbuster, like, you know, million dollar budget movie to have that was definitely a very. Unique for the time, because again, we're a year away from 2014. We're a year away from the MonsterVerse being a thing. So at that point, like this was, you know, when that first trailer dropped, and and it was like you saw this giant robots, you saw giant monsters, and it was just like people, people, especially nerds were we're uber excited
1: uh but speaking of the trailer um is that because i wanted to say this before i forget is that um one of the cameos in the film we're going to talk about the cast as we talk about the movie but one of the cameos in the film is voice actor ellen mcclain uh who voices uh for those of you who know the video game portal uh she voices the villain ai glados Mm -hmm. um who's uh Play and she plays the voice of like the computer, right? In In this, yeah, like the one who's just like, oh, like it's like suit rupture, detect it. Like I do know that that. I do know the story. So the the story behind it is like Del Toro is just a huge fan of the game, uh, wanted that voice in in the film. Um, and my understanding is Valve was like very like yeah sure do it yeah. Um, so it ultimately in the movie they had tweaked it a little bit so it wasn't an exact right, like replica it was just
0: basically i think del toro even said himself i i do know the story that he said that he just wanted that voice for the trailer because yeah. that's how he heard it and then, like, for the movie, he didn't want to just do GLaDOS because he didn't want people, like, as many people who have played Portal, he didn't want people thinking, like, oh, that that's going to turn evil. It's just, like, he wanted to mm-hmm. have, still yep. have her because he's a big fan of the voice, but it's just slightly tweaked, so it's not, like, as robotic as GLaDOS is. Yeah,
1: and, uh, but, yeah, you're right. He wanted to keep it in the trailer because he's like, well, at least have let me have that. Like, it's, like, just yeah. GLaDOS in the trailer. So I thought that was really funny. All right, well, uh with all that said... uh no other really big, huge stories uh, about the movie. Those were all like the heavy lifting when it came to production. Uh, they got the movie done and it came out. So let's talk about that with uh, a music cue that, of course, we were going to use and with a quote that there's no way that I mean, there's no other quote. You know to the put movie, you know
0: what we're doing. Yeah, so
1: here it goes, and we'll see you in a minute.
0: Everyone, listen up. Today, today, at the edge of our hope, at the end of our time, we have chosen not only to believe in ourselves, but in each other. Today, there's not a man nor woman in here that shall stand alone. Not today. Today, we face the monsters that are at our door and bring the fight to them. Today, we are canceling the apocalypse. Well, here we are.
1: Yeah. Um... Great. So this is uh, where the episode turns controversial.
0: <laughs> I guess. I mean, I'm. I i do not know if it's kind of like. I don't know. I don't know if it's going to be as controversial as you think it's going to be. So, uh, yeah. I
1: mean, obviously, I'm playing it up a little bit, but I don't know. But you may. I, I don't know. With a movie like this, we'll, we'll see. We'll see. Now, you really you hadn't seen this movie since theaters.
0: No. Yeah. I might have. It's one of those things where it might have maybe been on like when it first came out on blu-ray like because we were all still in college at that time and Mm -hmm. maybe we were gonna watch it but i really have not kind of sat down and watched it since its original theatrical run yeah in 2013 Mm -hmm. i remember seeing it at the la live regal um with with the crew that we had at that time It, it was that summer um I remember.
1: Oh, yeah. It was summer, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Um, Yeah. I mean, I had seen it a couple times, definitely. uh, Once in theaters and once or twice. I know I watched it like a year or two. uh, I watched it recently before this. To kind of like...
0: Recently enough that it remembered your place at the end of the credits. Yeah, it did. We
1: thought that was really funny that I re-rented the movie and it remembered the place I was at. And that was kind of more to like, because I hadn't visited in a while and I wanted to kind of like see really what my opinion of it was after well, so many know, years. And
0: we're continuing. It's one of those things, too. It's like I was very interested to see it because now we had, you know, for for me, I know for you is different, but for me, like, at that time, I, I hadn't seen, you know, this is before 2014 came out. I don't know if I had really seen any Godzilla movies. I might. Have well, that's the thing.
1: It's not only the recent Godzilla movies, but it's like now at this point, like your entire history of just kaiju filmmaking is – you're just way more educated on the subject. Way more now. knowledgeable now. Yeah. So, like,
0: at that point, like, I may have seen, like, you know, I don't even know if I had seen Biollante or uh, or Final Wars yet, because yeah. I think that was more in the lead up to 2014. So, I really only knew, like, the original Godzilla film, and even that I I wasn't really truly familiar with. I just, you know, seen it. I hadn't really studied it yeah. or anything like that. So, this was kind of, like, my real first true foray into kind of this genre and I just remember everybody Everybody around us was very hyped for it. We were definitely with people who liked Del Toro, that liked the concept. And that again, that first trailer got people buzzing, at least within our, our circle, our film community circle. So I remember seeing it at the theater. Mm-hmm. And uh, I remember I was the only one in that group that went to see it that was like, I don't know about this one, guys. <laughs> That isn't to say so, that this movie is bad. Yeah, I think it's a fine film. Okay, well, that
1: was in 2013. Now, in 2020,
0: I'm a little, a, a little, yeah, less harsh on it. Yeah, but it's your still opinion
1: still, de- really hasn't changed. Really whole, hasn't uh, changed yeah. too
0: much. Um, it's this is one of those movies where I just there are things to enjoy for sure. Mm-hmm. And I think there are definite highlights and you can still feel Del Toro's passion and that heart on his sleeve that we were talking about earlier. You could definitely feel that in the filmmaking, especially within like the, the giant monster and giant robot and filmmaking part of it. You can definitely feel that. I just still feel with watching this, that there is a better version of this movie in some alternate universe. Like, I just feel like there's so many interesting concepts and ideas that aren't thoroughly explored. Mm-hmm. I feel like the main thing for me is I I just feel like those – there's a certain amount of emotional beats that the film really wants you to kind of mm-hmm. get into, and I just feel that there's too many – it's one of those films where there's too many steps are skipped, I feel mm-hmm. like. That there's, Interesting. There's really not – I am – I am.
1: Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. Fin- finish your thought.
0: I just. I just feel like – I, I it's a movie that I want to like more. Yeah. It is that type of movie. And I definitely now years past and also in this world where I can't really get mad at movies anymore or any of that sort of thing. Yeah. I just I, I definitely was less harsh on on certain aspects of it than I was in twenty thirteen. Um and it's still like a it's still a fine watch. I still enjoyed the rewatch um and revisiting the movie. Uh, but at the end of the day, it's just like, I just want to like it better than I do. And I just still like in the middle of the ground.
1: I, I was very, very interested in excited actually to have this conversation, um, on Mike, because uh, I mean, I, I'm kind of with you. Like, I I feel like I should like this movie way more than I do. Uh, I, I, and it was funny because I kind of had this reaction, and it dawned on me like you. I guess you never really knew how I felt about this yeah. movie. Uh, you seem pretty surprised by my reaction after this rewatch.
0: I, uh, I I thought you liked it a little more than me. I yeah. didn't know we were more on the same level. Yeah, I, don't like the, I, I mean, like I like from the patch.
1: Friend of the Patrick. Friend of the the Patrick podcast? I don't...
0: Yeah, at the time, like, friend of the podcast Patrick really liked it. Our other friend Alex... I think... But that's the thing. I think a lot
1: of people do. I think a lot of people like this first movie. Uh, it, It was definitely... You know, it was people really like looked for it to be like the new, like original, like IP, like type of movie because I think that there was a lot of people like it. a lot of people liked Del Toro and there's a lot of stuff to like about the movie. I, I mean, so I don't want any fan of the film. You know, we're just being honest, but I don't want any fan of the film think this is just going to be a a crap fest. No, I mean, because it really not, isn't. It's, it's and, not a
0: bad movie. No, like, it's not bad. We've seen bad movies on this podcast, and it's definitely not any of those movies. Like, but there's also, like, there is a level of, like, you know, those, this, like, kind of, like, a three-star type of deal. Like, if that's, like, the, it's, like, kind of, like, middle of the road. Well, for
1: me, it's, like, and the reason I'm excited to talk about it and why I want to make, I always aim to make this as constructive as we can make it, but I do have very specific criticisms of the film, um, which is, um, which is very fascinating to me, and those criticisms have, like, that was the thing. It's, like... I feel like when I first saw the movie I had a very similar reaction where I thought like the cool stuff was cool but there was just something about it where I just didn't think it was everything it that, it, that it that it I want to be careful with that because I don't want to get into like well it's not the movie I wanted and and that's yeah. not necessarily that's not, it yeah. because it is the movie that it is like in and, and that was it's a like you go in to see robots fighting monsters yeah and that is the movie so yeah. it really all comes down to really specifics about how the movie is done so that's kind of what I mean that when I watched it initially it was just a general like why like I feel like that wasn't all it was missing some things and then as I watched it like a year or two ago I had way more specific thoughts and like very Pinpointed ideas about like you know how certain characters are used and things like yeah. that. So it's kind of like oh my opinion did evolve. It didn't make me like the movie anymore, but it's like how I kind of right. view the when movie. You, when you watch a movie more than different. once, you really
0: get to solidify. Like I, I'm someone who's a big fan of rewatching things because whether I like it or not, yeah. like it's just it just solidifies. Like once oh, you kind of know yeah. what's happening and what's coming, you do get to solidify. Like oh. So later in the movie, when this doesn't work for me, it's because here they don't, you know do the work or or I really like this part, you know, and I, I like this continuing story. you know, you can kind of really solidify it, like what you like and what you don't.
1: I, like. I don't think any movie is required to be watched twice. Uh, i I usually don't like that criticism of like, well, you have to watch it again to get it. But I do think t- to be fair, it would, it's definitely an enriching experience if yeah, you do.
0: I, I agree with that. It's just like, you know, you don't, you, you should still be able to enjoy a movie or you, you'll know kind of an opinion on a movie the first time yeah. you watch it. But Especially
1: just... like more often than not people, like we're kind of rare in that regard. I think if you took like a huge consensus, like I think you and I rewatch way more. Than the average person, absolutely, does. Yeah. absolutely. Like I'm,
0: I'm just a big fan of it. But I just feel like rewatching a movie you like is a re- rewarding because every time you watch it, you you just pick up something. Oh,
1: different. I mean, but you know, like you, and like I think sometimes you and me are different. Where sometimes like we will rewatch things even if like we don't like they're not like our most favorite. <laughs> you know, I think oftentimes we're I maybe me more than ever, but I, you and I have definitely rewatched things. Just in to get a better understanding of it, not necessarily because it's like, oh, we loved it, let's watch it again. Like it, it's sometimes both things. I know I do that. If I like sometimes, if like, listen, like I'll rewatch Suicide Squad again because it's like so, like, wow, what, what's going on in that movie? Like it's like I want to know like what's happening. So I've I'll watched Star Trek Generations more than once, <laughs> well, especially with all with all those. Um, so yeah, the, the, so the thing. I, wanna, I do want to start out with some positives about the movie. Yes, because the, the there's abs- definitely some positives. The absolute positive about the movie uh, that I will say is the 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 overall look and visual effects of the movie are great, yeah. I think. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And the one step up I will give that I think this movie does do better than most other movies is that, and I remember criticizing it at the time, but kind of having a bigger sample size of how people use this. I do think all the visuals especially like when it's like at night in the rain and how they use light and cinematography I feel is very good. I feel like the you know everything is very because even in films I like like even with like some of the monsterverse films like I I will concede maybe some of the visualization criticisms to them. Like I I don't you know I I don't I'm a little bit more favorable to those examples, but I will say, like, with Pacific Rim, with all, like, you know, there's a lot of elements, there's a lot of action, there's a lot of scope and scale and size and lighting, and I just felt like Guillermo del Toro and the visual effects team were able to make a really good-looking film out yeah. of it.
0: I think there's, you know, a lot of times you, you'll hear that, like, you know, they use night and rain to kind of hide the visual effects a little bit, you know, to kind of, you know, not... Because, like, you know, daytime and lighting, you have to do a lot more stuff, and, you know, in the darker yeah. and in rain. Uh, and I, I do feel some films kind of... You know, it's one of those things where some films kind of maybe use it too much or don't use it effectively. I do feel that... Because there's two major fights that take place at night in rain. You know, the kind of fight near the beginning of the film and the main kind of action scene, like, near the, the end of the second act. And, and... then
1: the third act is just literally underwater. <laughs> right. And,
0: but, but I feel like those two do use that environment very effectively yes i agree and and you're completely right in that it's not just the rain and because a lot of times when when films do that when they do just the night and the rain it really is just we're at night and in the rain Mm -hmm. you know it is that's kind of basically what's going on whereas here it's like yes it's at night in the rain but then you have all the lights of the city and you have more you know it's like a very neon city and then kind of lightning and 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 the lights of, of planes and, and the the robots and stuff like that, I do feel like they do use that more effectively and, and, and create that environment. Yeah,
1: and, and definitely, and once again, kind of what we talked about with Del Toro is that he doesn't, um, he's not beholden to any of the real world visualizations. So like all of, because that, that whole place, that that whole second act battle takes place in Hong Kong. And um there's this whole just the whole like neon lighting mm-hmm. element to everything just gives a fantastical kind of feel to the whole thing. Yeah. And then just like this time around, I would I have to like I-, I will admit that it was just visually speaking the movie I think is is very good. Yeah and and then just even on because most of the time Del Toro has that more gothic, old-timey aesthetic to everything. Like, even in in, if it's a modern time, even, like, the Hellboy movies have that kind of, like, noir, like, colorful noir sense to it. I mean,
0: The Shape of Water is that exactly. It's, like, kind of a 40s noir mixed with a 40s monster movie. So,
1: to kind of do this, like, semi-modernistic steampunk-esque, like, Mm -hmm. steampunk, future punk uh, quality to everything, but, like, keeping it not so much in the future, but in the real world, I think that... All the set designs are very, very good. Um, the sets themselves, the color, um, and uh, d- the overall production design of the film is just great. And I think that out of all the things that translate from De- Del Toro as a filmmaker, it's just all the um, just the visual artistry of the film. I, I think is just uh, hands down the best part of of the movie. Um, I'd
0: agree, especially in considering that. Like, I, I also feel that. Um, you know, we just praised it with our live tweeting of 2014. But I feel like there's also that general sense of scale and scope within this movie as well. Like even when they're in like kind of the you know the the garage, Mm -hmm. uh, you know the the uh, Jaeger garage, as it were, like the Shattered Dome, I think it's officially called. Mm -hmm. Um, and you get to see like all these robots being worked on, and just people like just walking, and they look so small next to like these these robots, and when they're looking at porn things and. And, like, you know, the concept of just, like, once, you know, that main battle where you get these, you know, when you get the giant monster and giant robot fighting, it does feel like a big thing going on, so. Uh,
1: So, uh, I think this may be where we kind of pivot into, maybe we'll pivot back and forth into. We're going to pivot back and forth. Because, because, so, here was kind of one of my little nitpicks slash criticisms to maybe something that just doesn't quite work for me as well in, in the film. Um, it, it The overall use of kind of like that real world size and physics and things like that, like you can tell what they're trying to do with it. Um, I, I, It just doesn't quite do it for me in the film. Like especially like when you watch something like 2014 yeah. that I feel makes a really specific effort to really show this is what creatures of this – size would do and like this is like how they would feel and to a certain point I feel like that is that's even um, maintained throughout all the MonsterVerse films to varying degrees like even for me like you know because the language of 2014 they set it up with this is how heavy these monsters feel that even by the time you get to Kongsville Island King of the Monsters even though they let loose uh, that a little bit just because of the material that they're working with you still get scenes that um, effectively maintain that. Like, I go back to, like, you know, some of the Ghidorah and Rodan stuff in King mm-hmm. of the Monsters. There's a sense I always get in this movie that this movie is holding back something a little bit. And I, and I feel like that commitment to the real-world physics and, like, it would take forever for, like, like the fact that, the like, the, the, the Jaeger is running, but it, it feels like, it, it has that sense of, like, oh, the Jaeger is, like, running at a speed that would be realistic in that way i i feel is and again maybe this is why it doesn't work for me but it it does have a feeling of one hand tied behind your back
0: i i feel i agree with this in the sense that when i was talking about the visual scale and scope i was talking about mainly like the actual size and stuff and Mm. and just kind of really making those creatures and those robots feel big within this world yeah i do agree though that There is a sense of especially that action leaving something to be desired. Mm -hmm. Now I still enjoy a lot of that main like the 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 movie's big fight. That second, I I will say like to be fair, despite this criticism,
1: I did kind of come out like having to admit like that whole Hong Kong fight, uh, especially like every. Anything really involving Gypsy danger in that yeah. in that fight is pretty good. Like, yeah, yeah. It, and it's like, I, oh, that's why you bought the ticket, of, and it delivers. It's
0: the most effective use of it, yeah. and I do think that they. It's the one part of this movie where it feels like yes, they do have their hand behind their back. They they're but they do. It feels like they're using it most effectively there. The. I would agree, though, that like kind of the rest of that action, there's a little bit of a sluggishness. To it, and it is that kind of heaviness that kind of weighs the movie down mm-hmm. in some context. Um, but also, it's like for me, it's like for a movie that is very much like it's monsters versus robots. It really comes down to the fact that you really just have that Hong Kong fight as the highlight.
1: Yeah. So this is a big thing. Is that? And I'm sorry, I I will be this person. There comes a point in this movie where it's like it's been a while since we've seen like a robot or a monster. It, at least and this is where it comes down to the what's it called? The the pacing of the film. Yeah. It's interesting because if I had if if I had to ultimately admit while I do have some of these nitpicks that I think just come down to my personal preference, I would admit that most of the monster versus robot stuff really good and I think delivers um, and by most of it, I mean generally the Hong Kong yeah. uh, stuff works. The third act stuff, I think, is okay. Um, I'm, I'm, I think I think the the fight that opens up the movie is a little lackluster. But but honestly, a lot of it comes down to story. I think there's a lot of story yeah, issues I have because that's with the, the film. thing too.
0: It's like I think there is a movie to tell where it's like you know you have a lot of the setting up and then the preparation and stuff like that. I think you can always, there's no, there's no version of a story that won't work. It's just that you got to make it work for that story. Mm -hmm. And the thing is, is that you, you do have this very lengthy thing. There's like, we have kind of the big, the big tragic fight at the beginning of the film. You know, we have kind of the montage of just like, here's the world. We have that big kind of tragic, like, you know, the, the the whole conceit of of that original pitch is just like one person loses their partner in the middle of the, of the robot right. battle mm-hmm. get that whole tragic scene and then the rest of the movie is uh, essentially them like preparing for this big battle mm-hmm. you know and then we get this kind of Hong Kong thing so it is a very lengthy part of the movie where it is just basically like hey we're we're just setting up to get ready for the monster fight right that can work. If you are invested in the characters and the story that's being told, and for me, unfortunately, it really does just comes down to they they cast Charlie on him. <laughs> I-
1: Dude, I'm sorry. He's bad. He's not good. <laughs> He's no
0: Garrett Hedlund. Yeah, he- and I say that with all seriousness. Listen, listen. Yeah, I will fully admit. That my only true reference to Garrett Headland as an actor is Tron Legacy and his small role in Inside Lewin Davis. Those that that's all I know. I have not really seen much otherwise. But I can tell you just in comparison, directly comparison, because we see these people these types of actors all the time. Kinda lanky, you know, kinda lanky to stocky. But like blonde haired Yeah White lanky. rough.
1: What do you call him lanky for He's like
0: all, all no, shredded but I, Okay yeah That's not the right term Just
1: general like white leading man White blonde leading man Yeah and in, a, in, a, in a, like a blockbuster movie with, yeah. Who's
0: gruff Who you know is kind of like did we mention I, he was white? I don't. He's always like, I don't, I don't play by the rules. But or, I kind of play by I the rules. rules. Yeah, <laughs> it's always that same type of guy. Like we, we have our Garrett Hedlunds. Charlie. We've, we, we talked about this at the movie. We have Garrett Hedlund, Charlie Hunnam, Scotty, Sam,
1: Sam Worthington, Sam Worthington,
0: Scott Eastwood,
1: Joel Kinnaman,
0: Joel Kinnaman, <laughs> <and> Jai Courtney. <laughs> yeah, all those types of guys. Yeah, but the thing about like when I say Garrett Hedlund in Tron Legacy, he, despite everything about that movie, I love that movie, and it's part of it is because Headland, despite having. That general white lead marker on him, there's still in an, a little bit of an inherent sense of just a charisma that he has that he brings to the performances. There's that just a little bit that he brings that makes it feel like just more interesting, mm-hmm. I feel like. And Hunnam does not have that quality at least in this movie, yeah, like he's just he really is just the blandest. White guy, you could have cast mm-hmm. in this role, and it really does hurt the movie. Um, I don't, the material around it doesn't really help either, but it's just like you do have to follow Charlie Hunnam around for the most of the movie, and it's just, it's just, I'm sorry, it I, I,
1: I'm not gonna pull any punches on this. He is terrible, he, he is boring he's bland he's doing this forced white gruffness the Like he has this monotone he's always like lax, waxing po- poetry but like in this like monotone gruffness that is so like he's like it's like sometimes you look to the stars other times you have to take the battle to them like what the, like stop Stop! Like you, it's like it's so painful to watch and listen. I'm sorry. It's like sometimes an actor doesn't have it. Like, and I'm not. And I actually will admit, like, I'm sh- like he's been good in other things. It's just in this movie, he's just not good, and the the movie like just really focuses and it just tries to do all the cliches of like he's the best pilot and he knows everything he hops into the dojo and is able to mansplain into the one asian character in the film (laughs) and it's just like so i'm like what is going on here so like and then and like like little things like you know are you know um uh what i'm i'm forgetting mako yeah mako mori um who is awesome, and I'll get to her in a minute. But like, she comes up, and then like, you know, she, you know, she speaks uh, in her native tongue to like, you know, to um, Idris Elba's character, um, Stacker Pentecost, <laughs> who is like, good name, and uh, yeah, great name. And uh, you know, he's like in 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 her language. Like, I thought, like, you know, I expected more. He's like, I, I, I expected, I, I expected no, more. No,
0: no, I, I expected something different. Yeah, I expected something different. And then, and, he,
1: then, and, and, and in the same language, he says, like. What were you expecting? Just like, like, like expecting like, better or
0: worse. Like oh god, like it's
1: like oh, and he he knows languages too, isn't he? So awesome. Like and he just doesn't have any of the 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 likability and char- and charisma of, of a character like that. Now there's a lot about this criticisms of this movie that you're going to say. Like earlier, I said stuff about like I feel like it's way too long until you get to like any substantial action. Uh, well, it's like, well didn't you know what about in Godzilla where Godzilla doesn't appear up in the same thing you know I, I, but I'll be honest though it's like again it's a it's a movie that is directed and caters around doing that I would yeah. argue
0: and i I would argue too that like it it caters around that element you still have you know you still get cut-ins on the Mutos and mm-hmm. you still have kind of the the Godzilla presence surrounding the movie. But you also do have, and again, some people don't like don't agree, but I you do still have characters that you are more invested in.
1: Well, but so here's what I would say though, because and, and you know what, I would concede the point that like maybe those two are equivalent, so this is just a taste thing. But here's the one thing I will say about the lead characters, because I know like people give Aaron Taylor-Johnson crap in Godzilla twenty fourteen. Which by the way, Aaron Taylor Johnson was on the short list for this role. The one thing about that movie though, is that I would argue that something like Godzilla twenty fourteen is Aaron Taylor-Johnson the most you know uh you know personable like fun movie star in that movie? No, I would agree with that. But the thing is like that movie caters a story around where he, this is just a normal guy doing like his duty and all he's trying to do is get back to his family and the movie itself makes no types of uh doesn't try to convince you that like this guy is like the most important hero and like no, this guy is like... But
0: that's what works about Ford. Yeah,
1: but but that's just the movie. This movie is like, here's your main action star yeah. who's retired and we got to get him back because yeah. he's like the best in the fleet. Like, mm-hmm. it's like... So that's really what the difference is. It, it's right. really just like how it's presented in the movie and that's was a, that was a huge... I, honestly, for me, a lot of this movie is hurt a lot about... Is hurt by where the story ends up placing its eye on yeah. for, for me. Mm-hmm. So like, for instance, like you have this whole story about like, here is the world coming together. Like they make this huge point that the world has set aside its differences to be, I guess we should say for you, those of you who don't know the movie, uh, basically the conceit of the movie is that a wormhole uh, opens up at the bottom of the ocean and around the Pacific Room. Yeah, and, which is why the movie's called Pacific Room. And these kaiju have been popping up over the course of several years, and humanity has banded together to make these Jaegers to fight them off, and they're kind of in like this never-ending war with them. Yeah. So that's that. That's the conceit of the movie. Um. So it's this whole like the world has like put aside its differences and now they're working together and something's been going on in the past recent years where the kaiju have really been beating them so they're kind of like have to get the last few jaegers together from around the world and their teams and uh, make one final stand uh to them so they do this thing where it's like all right well like we have like the chinese team and we have the russian team and we have the australia team and it's just so funny that a movie that has, like, this element of, like, cooperation and everybody needs to work together, at least baked into its DNA, like, not only are you presented with, like, the most – I you know, th- I don't want to say – that I won't hang my hat completely on this, but it is something that happens in the movie. Just the most very visual- visually telling cartoonish version of what, like, a Russian team would be mm-hmm. and what a Chinese team would be. Fine, you know what, I'm okay with that. Like, if you want to do that, I'm not saying, like, you know, you can lean into that. But then you don't know anything about them. And then instead, you want to focus on, like, fo- like uh, you want to focus on Charlie Hunnam and, like, the Australian team and at one point, and it's like the same old like, you know what, we don't need men and hot shots like you, even though I'm a hot shot. They need hot shots like me, not hot shots like you. Go screw. So he's like, they're yelling at each other and the dad's like, oh, he's the best man in the fleet. Like, and it's just like, and, and at one point they're all sitting at the table and it's like, all I see is just three very bland, very similar angry white guys yelling at each other about nothing. <laughs> And I know this is a very extreme reaction, but it really hurts the movie, like for me, and spe- because. And I think the problem, well, it just is- doesn't
0: do anything interesting with it. Like that's always the thing. You can, you can get away with that if you bring that, like the correct type of drama, and you build these characters well, and you, 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 you just—it's just not set up for success. It just isn't. Oh, and there's two. There's two reasons it bu- it bugs me.
1: Because one is that it's in a movie that is otherwise super imaginative and colorful and we'll get to those elements. So there's that that makes this part of the movie frustrating because of the second part is that I wouldn't have minded it if like, all right, that's just kind of what's filling in the human stuff. But there, it just does feel like the movie is hanging its emotional and character drama on this stuff. Yeah. Like you're spending so much time on this stuff that just like it feels so silly and forced
0: yeah and it's just it is the p- pacing of it too it is just like it just seems endless and again it's just like the the a movie can do that it's just it, you it can't make you aware that it's feeling endless and for us and again yeah obviously i can't speak for anybody else listening everybody may have a different opinion but for us it's just like it doesn't make it interesting doesn't make it unique enough where you just start sitting there and you're like okay well i guess we're waiting for the moment that was
1: another thing i and i always felt about this about the movie is that and maybe it's because and maybe this is just because this is how i felt about the movie and years have passed but like there's so much about the movie where they may like even reveal something but it it, do, it doesn't quite feel as like whoa and like oh that's awesome like maybe a few things here and there but it's like feels like there's so many times when you're like maybe like they reveal something and you're kind of like yeah i guess i guess that's what happened like that's what but that's (laughs) that's always been my main criticism that's always
0: been the number one thing about this movie is that those emotional reveals and the big reveals of the world and character and stuff like that there's not enough of that in this lengthy Part of the movie where you know we're kind of setting up this preparation and the team getting together and everything like that. There's just not enough steps taken for me to when we get to those moments to make them work.
1: Here's a here's a very telling, and this is just really like a kind of like uh, it may seem like a a, a minor thing, but the, the, it, it, this really stood out to me this viewing around is that there is a scene. Um, and then maybe this will transition into something I do like quite a bit about the movie. But there is a scene in which uh one of our characters reveals what's going on with the monsters. Yeah. And essentially what they reveal is that it's kind of like a slight exposition dump of of like why the monsters are here. And you find out that the monsters even though they kind of, at that point they kind of do already say that like they're aliens, but regardless, they say like these monsters are genetically engineered uh, like vermin killers that aliens are sending to wipe out our population so the aliens can come and take over the planet. Like yeah. that's kind of the reveal. But there's a sense of like when they reveal that, like they're like, you're kind of like, oh, I, you, I feel like, oh, that's a cool idea. But then that's it. Like, mm-hmm. you know, kind of like story-wise, goal-wise, like, you kind of feel like, well, what else is... Like, they still have to do the same thing. Yeah. Like, nothing... Their nothing mission hasn't really changed, at least not to a certain effective degree. And it just felt that there was, like, a lot like that, that they would just kind of, like, introduce something. And there was, like, a... There, a there's, like, a half-autopilot quality to some of the storytelling
0: Before the you get to... Because I know what we were about to mention that you like, but I do feel like this just transitions. into is something that I've always thought about this movie. This movie... I will say one of the things I do appreciate is that it does have a very, like, I feel like it does have an interesting mythology and that there's kind of an interesting world that we inhibit. The problem I've always had too, is that I just don't feel like we get enough of that world that we don't really, we, you know, we're so insular within this military base thing and we have this big, like, montage exposition of like here's the world within the first like kind of five minutes of the movie and I've always felt that like some of the most interesting things you could explore are just like we just skipped over all that like Mm -hmm. these the appearance of these monsters for the first time and like this concept of like well we have to build these giant robots and then you know the world kind of dealing with it the world coming together what the general population thinks and sort of how these kaiju eventually become sort of just a part of culture and It's just – all that's, like, kind of within three or four minutes at the beginning of the movie. Right. And then when you get to the actual world of the movie, it's essentially, like, you know, we have this world government now that's just basically, like, the Jaegers are useless. We're going to build this wall, and then the wall doesn't work, and they're still like, well, we're still going to build the wall because we don't have another option. And it just feels like, at some point, then you just kind of lose what's interesting about this world. And it just becomes this, like – it just – it becomes just the movie now, mm-hmm. and it's you know you can just you know it's not a necessarily a bad thing, but it you, there's this inherent like world that you build, and like that's kind of the thing that I appreciate about King of the Monsters. And I know it's like not everybody likes that movie either, but you still still start to feel like the effects that this these creatures being there right right has had on this world and the different reactions you may have to it. And I feel like in this movie you do get bits and pieces of it, maybe, but I feel like there's just there's a lot more you could have mined within the world of this movie and and, and really exploring that world. And I just feel like that that choice to make it so insular to like the end of the battle and and stuff mm. like that. I just feel like See, I just feel uh, like there's uh, like lost potential for me personally. Yeah, no,
1: I I wouldn't disagree with that. I don't have as much of an issue with it. Again, it comes down to if that's the structure you want, it's okay. It's just very specific things that to me undermine the story of it. Mm -hmm. Like, one of the issues I do have, though, is that it does really feel like they kind of skip over making the Jaegers cool. Like, I feel like there's a lot of this movie where the Jaegers just kind of get defeated, like, a lot. Mm -hmm. And... And well, I don't know. I'm a- sure there would be people who <laughs> argue like that's you know then that's the drama of it. Like you want to see it, but I feel like well I don't get a sen- like I will admit like by the end of this and really it's still only in that middle section. Like I went through that middle section being like oh the monsters are pretty cool in this, but like and like some of the Jaegers do cool things, but it feels like they get like one or two moves and then they get killed. And I get it, but then also another weird little nitpick I have. Is that at times, like I think they could have conveyed what they were doing? I don't know. I think there's these weird shortcuts in the movie. I thought.
0: I mean, I again, I I'd really uh, agreement there. I just feel like there's the shortcuts on the emotional beats and and some of the action stuff. Because the thing is, this too, is like we enter the the main world. We enter in this movie is this world where it's like the next level of monster has come up. Right, You know, it's like the level, you know, we're now we're battling these level four, like you kind of like equating it to like a hurricane, like this level four kaiju. And we, again, that kind of three, four minute like montage, like exposition, voiceover at the end of the movie was basically, you know, showed off like, oh yeah, yeah, the Jaegers kind of worked. But we never really got that scene of, we never really got that scene of just like, oh, here's like the Jaeger beating up this monster at its fullest potential. Because by the time we get to like our first actual fight that we see it's like oh my god it's the first like level 3 or level 4 kaiju and we've never had to deal with something that actually defeated these Jaegers before. Right, And then you never really get like I feel like if you just had like a little bit more like the movie like opened up with like Maybe the first Jaeger run or the first real successful Jaeger run, you really establish that. And then we go through that, like, here's the history of the world and mm-hmm. stuff like that. And then you get to that, like, big, like, oh, shit, like, they're evolving. Maybe you just never have that establishment of what these Jaegers can really do. So it really does feel like anytime you see them, they're just getting their asses That big. That would be, like, a, it's a little
1: nitpick I would have. is like, I because, feel – sorry, go
0: ahead. Just because, too, like, that first real fight – because, you know, the first fight at the beginning, like, the, where the tragedy happens – really not that meaty it's just kind of like yeah kind of wins and then the kaiju comes back and then by the time we see another kaiju fight the big problem is okay now it's basically like two monsters and they're overwhelming them so we right. never really get that establishment of like this is what it's like
1: and it's in the movie too where they kind of hint that like they're doing different things now like you know this one has an emp which by the way this movie may get the credit for never explaining what an EMP is. Yeah. Like I have to give it that. And then the other one has like a uh, like an acid thing. That that was my I think a uh, like I think that one's called Orochi or something. Mm-hmm. That one was probably my favorite kaiju of the thing cuz they called it the Swiss Army kaiju because it was literally and I liked it cuz story-wise I thought it fit cuz it was the epitome of like oh this thing is like evolved to do whatever. Yeah. Like it can spit acid, it's got like a claw, tail, which actually came from They wanted a a different creature with that claw tail, but then they couldn't use it, so they just put it on this one. Mm -hmm. And then they wanted a flying creature, so they gave it to. So I liked that element of it. But that was like, and again, I will put this in the nitpick quality where I felt like that there was a more clear way of being like of showing of just visualizing that there was something else to the defeat other than they just got beat. Because the way that the movie reads is like, oh, they just lost. Yeah. But then as the movie goes on, it becomes clear like, oh no, they're all losing because they, they're they coming back evolved and everything. But I, I I just feel like there was a way to mm-hmm. visualize that and tell that on screen a little bit better. Yeah. Uh, that, and, like, I'll, I'll put that in the nitpick category. But um so... So there's that and then and then and I want to go back to like your comment about the world building because I'll be honest I didn't necessarily have that much of a problem with the world building in fact I thought that at times the movie efficiently really told you what you needed to know without over explaining something like the bunkers and how the kaiju not how the kaiju how the Jaegers worked I thought that they kind of went through that very efficiently and all that stuff I, I thought was very very good directing and writing on the on those parts. Um, but I, I feel like at times and again it, it was for me like as I kind of have watched the movie over and over again it, like sometimes they would like introduce characters and concepts and stuff just kind of to be like this is the world it kind of gets into that like the problem I have with movies that, like Jupiter Ascending or Valerian where it feels like this scene or these bits are here to show you this world. And I get like sometimes people want that or they they say they want that. They want to know more about the world. But then I do feel like there's a level of like if that's coming at the cost of like mm-hmm. getting into some of these characters, which, and again, that would be fine. But then when we cut back to, I'm sorry, it's just, I, I don't know what to tell you. The main cast of characters in this movie just don't do it for me no i think they're, they're just... i honestly think that's where it comes down that's the core of all my issues with the film i, th- and I, think, I think, think idris like... elba is great i think he is good i think that he makes the part his own and he's great but you know for most of the time he's kind of a, like your general general military asshole i think he you know it he comes off the most unscathed because he's Idris Elba. Yeah. you know what I mean. Like so, he he's kind of got that Mark Cause, Strong cause quality it really to it. It's
0: like yeah, because it's even though Mark Strong could have been like, this like, part and would have been Pentecost is very much for most of the movie just like general hard ass general who like you know has a plan not telling anybody like his reasoning. He's just like I'm the general, so do it. Right, you know. And we eventually find out he's kind of hiding a couple secrets. But even then, it's like when those secrets should be like these big moments. But because there's not as much nuance to that character beforehand, mm-hmm. and there's really not as much exploration of him, it just kind of comes down to when he's like, it basically, like, he's like, I'm dying. I have cancer. Mm-hmm. And also, Mako is my adopted daughter. Right. Like, it's just like. And it really feels like, you know, in a, it just feels like those phones should be like, oh, wow. Like, and you really should feel the emotion. But you just don't because it's just the movie didn't do the homework before that to really make you feel that way. For at least in my estimation. There is one
1: relationship that I actually did like in, in, in the film. And,
0: and Legitimately. Well,
1: there's actually two. But there's one that worked that I, I didn't expect to work. And that was between the Australian and his dad. Yes,
0: I agree with this 100%. And...
1: Well, and that's mostly because of the dad. I like the dad a lot. Like the son, I like couldn't, like whatever. Well, but, this, this but, but but there's a bit at the end where it's very clear that they're going to go on a, su- a possible suicide mission. Yeah. And like the son, they're kind of giving their silent goodbyes to each other. And I actually thought that scene was really good.
0: I think the thing about that father-son relationship, because this is also something I did point out. I went back to my original Letterboxd review and I did point out that father-son relationship, like mostly towards the end works. I think you're right. It's the performance of the father um, as well as like, cause it's one of those things where it's like, it's nice that the father really doesn't take his son's shit. Cause you could imagine this movie where like the father is very defensive of his son, but he kind of knows his son's an asshole. I and mean, it's just like, the thing is that the Australian son, again, there's not that nuance. He's basically every military movies, like asshole, like I'm the big boy here. So like, you know, I get to, like, make the rules even though he doesn't. You know, it's kind of like I'm the star. I'm I'm the, the golden boy, as it were. And then he kind of gets humbled. Uh, but it's really like that father and that son. And I think it's really like the switch for me with that relationship is that Hong Kong fight where you do get to see them, you know, kind of work together. And it's very much like, you know, at the end of the day, the son's an asshole, but he's still going to protect his father. And the father is basically, like, you know, doing, like, awesome things like, Grabbing flare guns, it's like you you want to either gonna die here. Or we're gonna do something stupid. Yeah, like, you know, that just was great. Like that. I love that. But yeah. you're very much like it's and it's just like there's that there is that moment and the the sun's kind of been humbled and it just the performance really there does kind of work.
1: Yeah, and and then, and then the whole like you know that's my son. You got there like I I thought that was actually really effective and I and I really enjoyed yeah, it so that it, little bit. It's,
0: it's it does get off to a rocky start because again. Your Australian son character is so generically cliche, like, asshole. Yeah. But it it's one of those things where... And it's like, why are we... But, and then you just have the question, why
1: are we doing this? Like, it just from a story perspective, other than in a story like this, you have the asshole guy giving your main character crap. Like, it's just like, you don't buy any of that story on any level, no. I don't think. And it just feels... And, it, and, and maybe it could... This could just be me. It could honestly just be like these tropes in this order in this setting just aren't working yeah. for me. Like so, I like I I hope I. I but I mean, it, I'm not coming off as petty, or, or I like I hope think, I'm coming I, off as thorough and like yeah, what I'm trying to say. But my thing
0: is just like I think, as always, you can do a character like that. There's nothing stopping you from doing that. But it's just like there's no other aspect to him. There's nothing that makes him any deeper or any more interesting or any more unique than the tens and twenties of that type of character we've seen. Yeah, I think whenever and you it do- hurts
1: so much that you just make him look exactly like Charlie, just Hunt. like another blonde, angry, yeah. gruff. White I mean, guy. there's like, really oh.
0: like not much difference between him and Charlie Hunnam. You could have flipped those roles and yeah. tried to give Charlie Hunnam an Australian accent, and it would have been the exact same thing. But it's like anytime you do, I'm a believer that you can do the cliche. You can do the trope. Yes. But you still got to make it your own spin on that. You still got to bring some flavor to it. Because when it's just the trope, when it's just the cliche, it's so just not interesting. You can basically have that stuff, but you still got to give it a specific flavor. And I feel like that's really the thing with our main cast. Is that there are all of these tropes and these cliches and these elements that you would expect, quote unquote, in this type of movie... But there's just no flavor to them. And I think that's what really hurts it.
1: Yeah. No, I definitely agree. It's tough.
0: Okay. To talk about something we like, you know who does have flavor? Oh, so... so, You know who does have flavor? So
1: Charlie Day comes in to save the movie.
0: (laughs) And our our other guy. Uh,
1: Yeah. um, It's uh, Newt and uh, Gottlieb are the the two scientists. But see,
0: this is exactly the thing that... These guys are awesome. The thing that this movie needed. And the thing that you could have passed around to the rest of this cast. Because you have these two scientists... You have Charlie Day just being a mark for Kaiju, just like a, a fanboy doing his Charlie Day mile a minute, you know, thing. You have our other guy who's basically playing um uh, you know, uh the guy from Reanimator. What's his name? Uh, oh
1: yeah, he really is. He 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 is playing like a um a uh what's his uh oh man i'm, I'm black because you know i love i love no
0: no I, i'm i'm upset now because i'm like i love this guy oh, i'm
1: blanking big time on him oh i feel
0: bad i feel bad uh hold on uh, uh damn it why can't i remember his name i had it in my head too hold on uh Jeffrey Combs. Yeah, Jeffrey Combs. Sorry. Sorry. He's playing, he's, he's, I feel really bad about that one because I love Jeffrey, Jeffrey Combs. Jeffrey Combs is great in everything he's yeah, in. Yeah. Everything I've ever seen him in, he's fantastic. Yes. And I got to see him Agreed. live uh, discussing the Frighteners and Reanimator ones. That was really fun. But basically, he's playing a version of Jeffrey Combs. Yeah, and Jeffrey just, Combs from Reanimator. He's but it's playing, also yeah. great because it's still unique and specific. So you have this two relationship. You have, again, kind of in some ways a trope you have the two scientists you have the kind of crazier one you kind of have the more mad scientist and you have kind of the more serious one it's taking his work very super seriously again with with other actors it would have been very bland but you have these two guys and these two you know and you bring specific things to them you 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 know Charlie Day brings his specific tics and and the writing kind of helps that and then you have our other scientist who you know, gets kind of these other impassioned things. It just brings a fire that the rest of this movie doesn't have. Yeah, they,
1: they, and it's funny because like the idea is like, you know, Gottlieb is like, you know, the mathematician, and like, he's all about like, he's all about like, numbers. <laughs> he has the quote where he's like, he's like, numbers are the only thing that brings us closer to God. Yeah. Or something like that, and then yeah. like, and then like Newt has like, you know, his, his a look to that, but he's like that kind of guy, and then Charlie Day's uh, character Newt, he is the um, bio- the crazy mad scientist biologist who has tattoos all up. It's just like little details, like he's uh, got kaiju tattoos. And, right, but then they kind of like show like, but they have like a history together. Yeah. like they already have like the dividing line in the in, room. The, in the room. And he's like, he's like, dude, what if I told you about putting like your, your kaiju, kaiju guts on on my yeah. side of the room? Yeah, and, he, and he's like, well, maybe if you gave me more. So, like, first of all, Charlie Day, man, like, he's like he's, he's Charlie so... Day is awesome. He's so fucking funny. And what fun fun fact about him as I, I like um what's his um Guillermo del Toro said that he wanted Charlie Day to be in the film after seeing uh Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Yeah and allegedly it's from one of the greatest episodes of Always Sunny in Philadelphia Philadelphia ever. Um I, I believe yeah, it's the one the infamous uh mailroom Pepe Silvia yeah. scene where he goes crazy. Yeah. Like allegedly that's what he saw that he's like Charlie Day needs to be I- in this film and
0: eventually Charlie Day doesn't he doesn't Guillermo del Toro like guest star on yeah the voice eventually like?
1: yeah yeah as a uh, as um Gra- Grandpappy Mcpoyle or something yeah. like that he's got a bird under his hat yeah. the whole thing. it's funny um it's it's hard it's I get it it's easy to say that the really animated funny characters are the life of the film but you know, and there's ways to do it without being like that level of like mm-hmm. cart because I will say like when they're sharing scenes with like Idris Elba, at least Idris Elba is playing it like to like a little bit of like that cart he he's still like the like the um the straight man, yeah. but he knows what movie he's in. Like he's like always like exaggerating. He's like, "You, shut up." <laughs> like he's always like that kind of guy. So that works, but it does kind of feel like when like Charlie Hunnam is in like the 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 like the elevator with them, he it just feels like he, it's just, he's just not on entertaining par, right? Of, with the type of movie that mm-hmm. they're in, and to be honest, and it's not just them. Eventually, we get introduced to another character, Hannibal Chow, played yeah. by the one and only Ron Perlman, right. who is another person who comes in and, in my opinion, saves most of this movie. And I will say this. When the movie transitions to, like, scenes with, like, Hannibal Chow or Charlie Day and everything, I'm engaged. I want to even when, like, the and they're, they're doing the same things. They're spouting exposition. They're just talking about what's going on in the movie, just getting the plot rolling. And they're throwing in a little bit of, like, you know, their jokey jokes and their personality in there. But I'm engaged and I'm on board. Like, even though the huge info drop of, like, the whole, like, it's like, they're aliens, and they came here to like, and they wiped out the dinosaurs. Like, it's like,
0: even yeah, no, though the, like- No, the, Kai, the kaiju were the dinosaurs. No,
1: no, they said, oh, no, they said they, they, yes, they did, but they, the whole idea was that they came to the earth too early.
0: Right, and the, and, the, the, the atmosphere wasn't conducive. Yeah, and then they- like, And they, then like, pollution! Took, like,
1: yeah, but the point is, like, even though like, t- like, on a grand scale, that info dump doesn't do too much for me, I will say, because, you know, I always say- if you need exposition, give your most entertaining character the exposition. Mm -hmm. It's the Doc Brown rule of exposition. Yes. Where, and then, so I'm just- I like that, the Doc Brown rule. I like that. And it's just, and you're, I'm just way more engaged to listen to what's going on. And then like, even with like the Ron Perlman and the Hannibal Chow stuff, like, there are two scenes, like, it cuts to, you know, uh, Charlie Hunnam talking to whoever. I'm just like I'm. I I I was watching the movie, kind of like, all right, I'm tuned out. Like yeah. I just I'm not entertained by him. He's not selling this to me. And then you go to you
0: know Ron Perlman and Charlie Day, and I'm back on board. Well, it- and again, this goes back to my thing where it's like, what does the Hannibal child character bring? He brings a sense of flair. You immediately know. So much more about him just from a look, which I think the rest of the cast just don't have because, you know, they're basically all military and fighters and stuff like that. You just don't get that. Where it's like, he's got the fancy costume, he's got the sunglasses, yeah. he's like chomping on a cigar, all that sort of stuff. But then it's the same thing where it's like, one thing is that you bring a new element to this world where Charlie Day and, and our other scientist, um, they bring kind of this more scientific version, but again, in their own crazy way. So they bring a new element. And what Hannibal Child brings is that, you know, again, this sort of thing where it's like, I want to kind of see more of this personally is kind of this underbelly of just like the kaiju black market and like what the kaiju have to but, offer. But, other but again,
1: I think the point, and I think this is the point you're trying to make, so correct me if I'm wrong, but if that type of energy and entertainment was brought to even the military stuff. Then I don't think you would have that. No, issue no, no. Uh, yeah,
0: it's exactly what I'm saying. It's and, just like and, there's a, there's a fire and there's a spark and there's a uniqueness to those characters. And, you know, again, it's just like you could have made you could have made the Hannibal Chow character the very just cliche, just like, I'm like a mob boss type of dude. I don't yeah. take shit seriously. Like I, I take everything seriously, I gotta put a gun in your head right away. But the thing about like the what they bring to the Hannibal Chow character is kind of like this kind of this kind of underground, like playboy kind of like, yes, like, yeah. like create, like, like pop. He's like the most popular guy in the room because he's rich, but also cause he has that, you know, that, that magneticism. And even you can see it when he's interacting. Cause he, you know, the main thing is that Charlie day has used the drift compatibility technology to drift with the kaiju brain. Mm-hmm. And so he needs like a fresh one to, to get more information so he goes to Hannibal Chow, who's like who sells kaiju parts and 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 basically like drugs and elements made from kaiju, even under, the crap. Yeah, as he says. Yeah, two tons of crap can can like, like you know. fertilize a whole field. Yeah. So basically, like so, you basically have all these scenes with Charlie Day and Ron Perlman together, and you just again, it's just so entertaining, and there's a spark it's between a, them. It's a
1: sense of the movie not pulling its punches in terms of its presentation. Like, you know, you have this, like, kind of, like, very bright whim, like, not whimsical, but this very bright fantasy real world. Mm -hmm. And, you know, otherwise it's kind of, like, you know, generally safe military types. And then when you have a character like Hannibal Chow, it's like, oh, that's, like, that's, like, fun, and that's, like, kind of, like, cool, and you kind of, I agree, like, I do agree with you in the sense of it presents a direction that you wish the movie went down more. Yeah. And the thing is, it's on this movie's mind. Like you have, you introduce these characters, like Charlie, like a uh, Newt Gottlieb, um, you know, Hannibal Chow. You have all these characters. Why aren't you doing that for like the the like the Russian team or like mm-hmm. the the Chinese character, like yeah. the Chinese team, like where you've clearly presented them in a more larger than life you know kind of like very visually distinct way so why not engage with that and instead you kind of focus on the most the easiest archetypes that you can have Mm -hmm. the most not only the most easiest archetypes but the most the easiest military story you can tell and on top of that very little nuance to that and and I think that also brings us back. Yeah, like gotta- the,
0: the most the, the Chinese team gets is that one of them's always carrying a basketball. Yeah. And he flips. Yeah. Like once or two, to- one and or two times. And then the Russian team is very much like or super serious Russian team. Right. Like like any any like Russian antagonist. Like, yeah. like they're the Ivan Drago school of Russia. Yeah, and like why do they look the
1: way they do, but like nobody else looks like like at that point you might as well just like Given like the Aussies, like you know, Australian crocodile Dundee attire, like, like you know what I mean? Yeah, <laughs> like you might as well have just given them the cowboy hats. Yeah. and like you might as well have just done that. But um I, I do think we need to talk about Mako, Mako Mori. Yeah, this Mori. Is kind of the big one. Uh, in Mako Mori, uh, well, what do you what do you think about Mako Mori? And because there's a case I think to be made that that's the character that you should have just been following. Yes. <laughs>
0: It's one of those things where I feel like that character would have been more interesting had she been the main character. Yeah. I do feel like, again, it kind of gets into that, it kind of gets into that, like, we're making, you know, a, I don't know, it's one of those things, it's hard to put, it's one of those things where I feel like it's just, they're definitely trying to do the, like, oh, we're making kind of a our own little badass female character here. Yeah but then it's just kind of also do like the emotional trauma thing. Yeah.
1: I don't like it. I don't like it. I'm going to be honest. Like I, I, it's just, I think it's just off.
0: I think it, I don't,
1: I don't think that there's fundamentally something wrong with it. I don't want to make it like that case. Yeah. I just think it's like, just why do it? Why do it? And then also pair it with like, you have the most boring white guy who knows better than all this stuff. And it's also like the boring
0: white guy who does have his own emotional trauma, but it's really never...
1: No, no, he doesn't.
0: The (laughs) thing is, it's set up that he does. Yes. It's set up that like, oh, I lost my brother. And like, they give some brief little like, I was drifting with my brother when he died, so I'm still kind of messed up. But they never go any deeper into that. That's an
1: excellent point. That's they never go any more.
0: So basically, you have this guy who should have emotional trauma that should be have that survivor's guilt that was talked about in the pre-production, but it seems like he's already gotten over that. Yeah. And then you have, of course, like the female character that's like gets too emotional. Well, she she
1: gets all the like. Like she's being held back by the father figure. She's like traumatized from when she was a little girl. like when she finally gets her chance, she breaks down like she gets like all like this like just all the stuff that and and it's a shame because I like the character and I yeah. and I think that and I, I like the attitude of the character. I think that she holds her own with all the leads uh with all the leads and um just the look and how like you know she's directed uh i do like that they kind of give her like some like you know young girl qualities like when he's like oh like let's get her in the ring and then she like looks up at stagger because it's like uh like um you know that's her father figure so she kind of gives like this oh can i can i do it i thought that was kind of cute but yeah i'm not a fan of like the more and more i watch this film i'm not a fan of like just what they do with that character, yeah. um, ultimately. And, uh, and you know, and, and another thing comes down to, like, another, where this movie does do some right in, in other uh, instances. I can't really recall, and my brain can't go to the emotionally satisfying moment when they, they finally are drift compatible, and now they're working together. Yeah. That being said, one of the best resolutions in the movie is when Gottlieb and Newt drift compa- drift with the brain, yes. and it's the whole like he's like, "Well, Newt, if you're going to do it, I'm going in there with you." It's like yeah. it's
0: like the- I will share some of the the, the brunt <laughs> of the load, you the, know, the, the, the neural. The drift load. pilots
1: do it all the time. And then when that happens, you're so like it's it, it's such like a triumphant moment that yeah. you feel, and you're like, "Oh, that's a satisfac- uh, satisfactory satisfactory." two characters like you know putting aside their differences moment that the movie does do at at that point
0: it really does come down to the fact that they don't like again it's it's, there's an inherent issue with with charlie on him as a whole but they just don't present that character's issues at the forefront enough where it's like you could have had this thing and again you know we fantasy script movies and it's 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 a rough thing to do because again the movie is the movie but like you, you just set up this thing, and it's just like, and again, they give lips. He gives lift service where it's like, oh, it was my fault we fell out of compatibility because, you know, I lost focus for a moment. Like, and the thing is, is that they show him being like, oh, like, you know, my, you know, they kind of like thing, but they never get into his head. Mm-hmm. They never do that thing. Like, if you had a thing where it was kind of combining their two memories, where it's like he's still remembering like his brother's last words and she's remembering her own trauma. If you had that going for it, then mm-hmm. that works more. Yeah, that works more. But when you put all that emotional brunt on the young female character, it's just, and and then you have, you know, the, the, the guy who just, again, you, he gives the lip service to that stuff, but never really shows the emotion, never really shows that hardship that he's going through. Cause he's the gruff man in the gruff exterior. And I don't, it's, it's hard cause I, I, you know, it's always tough to talk about these types of things, but it's just, it just feels like you had a setup to do at least something with that, mm-hmm. and it's just they put all that emotional weight on her, and I just think it just it doesn't hold because again we, you know, you're kind of getting a little bit of that setup with her, but we still don't know amount much about yeah, her either even, before that.
1: But even with that, it's like then she does it, and then they're like, man, that was crazy, but you got to learn from it, and then it's like then they're fine, like yeah, you know, because well,
0: the thing is, because then you know, there's like basically like they're holding them both out from the big fight, and then eventually because. You know, the, the Chinese team gets crushed and the Russian team gets crushed. And again, we don't really know anything about them. So it's just like, okay, well, Kaiju's winning, you know. Right. But like, there's no... Neither of them really showcase what their Jaegers can do, so it goes back to that point earlier, but then eventually they No, oh, like, no, I mean, the
1: the Crimson Typhoon, I think, gets like a few kind of like. I guess so. I, which I kind of like that. I like that it was like a flippy, like had three yeah. arms. Like, I, I always like that one. Well,
0: basically, and also because then everybody gets EMP'd, and so basically they have to be thrown in there because, you know, their Gypsy Danger is like back from when the, the robots were nuclear. Um,. And it, but again, like when they do get out there, it's not like they have any issues either. It is just kind of like, okay, well, we got to fight, so we're good. It's just like, it just there's a sense of the drama is kind of misplaced in some ways, or there's not. Yeah, that's again, a good way of putting it. The drama is misplaced, and there's again, there's not enough of that buildup of the drama. That is basically like we messed up here. Okay, we're we're good now. We're we're definitely compatible. No issues. We're not like even if there was a moment. Where she's kind of like losing herself a little bit, but then she pulls back in that fight. Mm-hmm. Even if it's like you, you, you know, you you show her, you know, overcoming that fear and overcoming those odds and and you know, winning the day. But you just don't. It's just like the movie just skips steps all over the place. It skips steps with the motion and sometimes with the action, and it just feels like there could have been more mind. And it feels like it's I, one I po- agree. I, I can. I, I want to say. I, 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 I do want to say though. It does feel like we're being very harsh on the movie. And I said at the beginning I was less harsh on it. And it, it I, I am. It's more so like, at the end of the day, it's fun to discuss this, but it still was a fine watch. And that Hong Kong sequence really showcases most of what, like, the potential of this movie is. And it really does, like, you get the moments like Gypsy Danger dragging the battleship through the streets oh, and using Awesome. And using Elbow it.
1: Rocket. Elbow Rocket is awesome. The
0: Elbow Rocket's great and like this the random sword moment is is kind of cool too as they're flying up and 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 like the one flair they're directing and this is totally like monster movie moment Mm -hmm. when you reveal like that second creature they're fighting in the hong kong sequence has wings yeah that 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 from
1: day one i saw this movie i'm like that's one of the best parts of movie. that's a
0: pure like godzilla movie moment Mm -hmm. like like you can imagine it like probably less smooth in the suit but you can definitely imagine it in like a destroy all monsters where like There's that creature, and all of a sudden it starts flying, and they're like, What?
1: And and again, that's a, that's a, and that to me is good storytelling because I think that all that stuff in the Hong Kong scene. More effectively shows that these creatures are doing things that they didn't expect. And then that's why they're getting, you know, um, the jump on them is like that, you know, they have to pull out all these different tricks and like, oh, like we didn't know this could fly and we didn't know this could spit acid. We weren't ready for that. Like things like that. And I think
0: that, too, is just like, again, there is we talked about this kind of there's a sluggishness with some of the fighting. And there, there could be a little bit more speed. I feel like again that like a little bit less realism, but a little more action. Yeah, I, th-
1: I w- that's me being very nitpicky. Yeah,
0: but I will say too though is that the other thing about that Hong Kong fight, um, especially like once they get into the cities, you still do feel like I still feel you feel like that heaviness and that bigness, and I think it works in that moment. Yeah, I agree. because I feel like you're really kind. Of, this is again, it's like the movie showing like this is why it's enjoyable. This is why there's there's a funness to to this concept yeah is because like you're just watching a scene like that and then you're also going into like you know and then again it's just like that's the like kind of the best part of the movie because you're cutting between that fight and then you know what's going on with with charlie day and everything like that and that whole sequence just kind of comes together and it's just feeling like that's the best version of what this movie is i do gotta say from the first time i saw this movie I always thought that that last, like, the third act battle was, like, a major letdown. Mm-hmm. I always felt that, like, because I felt it was one of those things where that third act fight should be, like, the climax. It should be, like, the biggest version of the battle that you could have. And it just felt like nothing in that third act rivals anything that happens in the Hong Kong sequence. And it's, like, they're totally underwater for the whole thing they don't you know it's kind of like a, a two-on-three situation because there's a big like again reveal that doesn't really make you know it's like kind of the reveal is like they're gonna the plan is like they're gonna throw a nuke into the the um
1: into like the rift the rift yeah, that's yeah. what it's called into yeah. like the, the rift the but portal. then it's
0: basically like when when our scientists drift again they realize that the only way the rift opens is with kaiju dna mm-hmm. so if they just throw a nuke in there it's going to close up and it's not going to reach you yeah,
1: you must have been reading my mind because i was just thinking about how that's another piece of information that yes technically it does matter but really kind of like doesn't effectively change what's happening no it's in the just story. it just
0: adds like a slight complication but then they're basically like okay well we got to we got to get a kaiju down there somehow. Yeah, They just like,
1: jump on one and yeah. then they like Well, the get thing, that's there. the
0: thing is, is like, you're right is that none of these big moments really shift anything in the story. Mm-hmm. Cause even that earlier one, when they reveal that like, you know, they're going to, ex- they're literally going to exterminate us all. And, and like, you know, they, he's drifted with the brain. It's really like one. Yes. We get more specific information, but nothing really concrete, like nothing we didn't really already assume in yeah. some ways. Mm-hmm. Um, and then two, it just leads up to like, well, we're still gonna have this big assault. It's just that you need to go get a brain for more information. Like it doesn't really shift like the way Idris Alba is planned. And I think that's the other thing about Idris Alba's character is just like yeah, he has like this personal issues. Again, those reveals don't really hit more, but it's also like he's never really put in a position to, like, really where You know, because, again, he's, like, putting himself on the limb and, like, the governments have shut down this program, so he's kind of bringing everybody together for this last mission on his own. Mm -hmm. There's really never kind of a pushback or a drama on his end either. There's never really, like, an emotional kind of, like, realization for himself. It's It's all kind of, like... You know, it all just kind of feels like, yeah, I'm dying. Yeah, I had this daughter, but we got to make this push. Mm -hmm. Of course, he does get the big speech, which you heard in the quote. Um, The the iconic... it's awesome. The iconic quote from this movie, we're going to cancel the apocalypse.
1: Yeah, and and that's all good. I I was going to say that thing about the third act, too. Another thing I I was kind of bummed out about is like, because you're right, one of the other things is like, I mean, some of the monster action and the beats are are cool, but you don't really get the sense that they're marginally more difficult than what they just beat, and then the other thing is, like, I was kind of bummed by just the design of the monsters. I always remember from day one, I saw this movie where they're like, it's a category five. And then it comes up and it's like, oh, it's just another similar snake looking thing. Yeah. Like, I-, I was always kind of bummed that it wasn't like a better. And they're all kind of like weird, like ocean like snakes. That, like, by I, the I end. get
0: Del Toro being like, we want to make them all look similar because they're they're clones of each other. That's the yeah. other thing is that like they're not unique creatures; they're being bred specifically for this purpose. But I feel like that's the one you could have gotten away with, mm-hmm. where you could have been like, "Wow, they like this was like this is the big one that like has everything and yeah, and, and like is bigger and and batter. it's like
1: and its one quality was that it could talk to the other ones. Like at one point it like screeches and then the other one comes to. It's hell- yeah, I felt like there were a lot of shortcuts taken in that play. It, like- it
0: just felt like that third act, again, it has its cool moments, but it just it didn't feel like the climax. Yeah. It felt like Hong Kong was the climax, and then you get to that fight and you're expecting like the bigger, badder battle. They're they're walking underwater, which already, like again, in this realism world, kind of inhibits their mm-hmm. ability to the, the fight and everything like that. Um, I did I do kinda like though that that last moment. Um, not the last, last moment, but, like, when they... When he goes down with the... Cause oh, yeah, when they go through the portal. Yeah. That so, looks good.
1: And visually, that's incredible. So,
0: basically, because it's, like, the whole thing is, like, they have a nuke, but they're compromised. Like, it's... Idris Elba basically takes over, because the, in the big battle, the, the Australian father, like, broke his arm so he can't fight. So, Idris Elba takes over because he's dying anyway. He knows it's a suicide mission. They... They're the ones with the nuke, but they're, like, basically incapacitated where they can't make it there. They're like, well, we're going to set off the nuke and do as much damage as you can. Gypsy Danger, you still have a nuclear core, so it's your responsibility to get down there. But the moment where it's, like, his Mako ejects, Charlie Hunnam, whatever his name is. Um, he's just Charlie Hunnam. That's yeah, all he is. Yeah. Um, you know, he kind of takes the kaiju body with him. But that last little moment where, like, the robot's floating down, you see, the like, the aliens like, kind of, like, look at it, kind of, like, confused, and, like, and then you basically... Yeah, very
1: Independence Day moment.
0: And then you basically see the, the alien like, alien just as he's, like, um, realizing what's going on and everything blows up. That's, like, a cool little moment. And, again, you're right, very Independence Day, but it kind of worked in terms of just kind of that last beat yeah. of, like, being cool. It's just, like, I wish that the fight before it was more badass because that would have been, like, a nice little, like, badass ender on everything. Yeah,
1: I, I got to be honest. I, I hate to be a bummer, and I, I'm really sorry. I, I don't mean to sound like this much of a bummer. I'm just being honest, but yeah, the third act doesn't really do all that much for me. As notoriously, the the person who's probably most apologetic of third acts in general Yes. I, this one doesn't do, doesn't quite do it for me. And, and the fact is like a lot of it feels on autopilot to me. It's yeah. like the characters who die, who make the sacrifice are the characters you think that are going to make it. Nothing else really happens or pays off that much other than like, you know, he says like, you know, hey, like Mako, I care about you. And like, you know, that's really the only big payoff.
0: Yeah. And there's, there's like, there's that's no- like the romance thing, which is just like, at least they don't kiss. Yeah. That's like the, best thing thankfully that movie, yes because it's basically implications that they're they're close and you know something could happen but like you know i i feel like i read that moment as like oh probably i'm just saying like at least they don't do yeah it. they don't have the big like end of the movie kiss which is would be the most cliche thing you could have done so um, there's but, that yeah, but
1: yeah and then it's like that and then like mako and i guess like and the thing is like mako's character i guess completes all her stuff like w- earlier on because, like, she brings out the sword, and then she's like, this is for my family, and then she yeah. kills. So, like, that's, she's done. Yeah, everything
0: is, is set up in that third. I, I do feel like we missed the joke, because everybody kind of jokes. It's like, why wouldn't they use the sword at the beginning? Yeah. The joke should have been that, like, Charlie Hunnam didn't even know there was a sword, like, yeah. after all these years on his machine. It's like, should have just been, like, they land, they kind of, like, breathe. It's like, was that sword always there? Yeah. Yes.
1: They that That actually would have gone a long way if they joked. He's like... How did I not know that there was a sword?
0: <laughs> I, I I just feel like that was the the button that scene needed. Yeah. Otherwise, it's just like, well, why didn't you use the sword?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, because I I know that the the whole thing is like they had did modification. They say they he, they did modifications in the past five years that he wasn't there. Yeah. But you're you're right. It's it's kind of like also why wouldn't you just use the sword? Yeah. But it's just and, like, but it's than... just like a joke. There would have gone a long way. Yeah. I Also liked when he uh when they punched the little ball swing. That I know that was little... a practical effect. Yeah. That was a fun little jokey joke. Yeah, I'm I'm really sorry. I don't mean to be a bummer. Yeah, about it's this like one. I,
0: I, I I still feel this movie is fine. Like it's one of those things where it's like I feel like we've dissected it and and gone around it and 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 you know and 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 rented rented ranted about all our issues. At the end of the day, it's still not. I, I still ins- I enjoy
1: watching it for the good parts. Yes, I should say. I
0: still I still think that this was an enjoyable yeah. revisit despite all the issues that we've gone over, despite everything. Um, it's like, it's just like still seeing like that, the Hong Kong sequence and seeing Charlie day and, and, and just like, you know, and, and we tonight we're canceling the apocalypse and all that, all that stuff that still remains fun about the film. Yes. Yeah. worth revisiting through visiting. And I do think in general, like, you know, I don't think it's Del Toro's best work, but I still think he still has some fun with the direction part of it, yeah, um, for sure. Oh,
1: it's definitely he brings what the best part about this movie is, and that is yeah. the 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 design, the look, mm-hmm. the the entire direction of the film it, is incredible. I, I'm not I'm not gonna yeah. make too like I'm not gonna right. like you it's know just, make any excuses about that. Like it is genuinely amazing work. Is just like all that the production yeah. design of the film.
0: It's just like it's just. Unfortunately, it doesn't hit for uh, the two of us. Yeah,
1: it, it really comes down to story and character, really, really hurt mm-hmm. this one for, for, uh, and how it's exactly used. But like I said, I will watch it for the stuff that I do like. I think that the Hong Kong fight is really good. The visuals, I think, are really good. And I think the characters like Charlie, like Newt, Gottlieb, and uh, Hannibal Chow, I think all those characters are great and do yeah. make the movie worth watching. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, so you know, that that that's how I feel about it. And I think what you hear is because I think the elements in the conceit are good are deserve better material than what yeah. the human stuff is. And one thing I do want to mention before we wrap up that I think I don't know if this is gonna add insult to injury, is like there was an interesting concept that Beachman had earlier for this film that they ultimately nixed was that they were going to have uh, Charlie Hunneman Mako uh, speaking different languages, so they they you know they did they didn't have like the beat like oh he understands yeah. her like that they both spoke their n- own native mm-hmm. languages, and the whole idea is that the completion of the arc and like the whole drift compatibility is like then they were able to speak with each other right. was was going to be the payoff to yeah. that uh which I I think it was a lost opportunity
0: and uh, I can Im- hindsight's I, a son of a bitch I but, can like, imagine why.
1: Oh, I get it. I, I get can it. imagine
0: why they didn't want to go that route, but that would have been a very interesting way to go about it. Especially yeah. if if you had that language barrier when she does, it kind of makes that scene a little bit more interesting. Yeah.
1: I, I would have liked to have seen that. I, yeah. That was like the first thing I am like, oh man, that would have been Don't That would have been. Don't forget a
0: ball child gets swallowed by a baby kaiju. He gets
1: swallowed by a baby kaiju. Loses his um, shoe. He loses his shoe, but he survives. Yes. Don't worry, and uh, he wants his shoe back. He, Where's
0: my goddamn shoe? So
1: so you know that's fun. So that that's what we think about the movie. What what but I think another thing we do have to think about is who is who could they have put
0: Harrison Ford in this movie? I say
1: just like the head of that World Council or whatever. Yeah,
0: he's definitely either on the World Council or like on the earliest team that like approves the Jaegers.
1: Yeah, or he's like one of the first Jaeger pilots. He was Oh, you know, do they ever say what who Uh, Stacker Pentecost's partner
0: was do they ever say if he had one or I thought it was the Australian dad oh I think so I thought they used to be no because that's why he ends up partnering with the son right because it's like we don't know we're drift compatible it's like look I I know you're your father's son you're an asshole but you're your father's son I know we're drift compatible well he
1: should have been one of the first pilots and then they have like a portrait of
0: him in like the the, the shattered the first surviving pilots Yeah. because it's like they immediately like like you know, the first pilots are like, we can't do it by ourselves. Yeah, so that's why the they drift- all died. <laughs> yeah, you could have so. been like on the team that makes drift compatibility. I think.
1: All right. Well, so that kind of wraps it up for this movie. I won't get too much into the aftermath because some of it will bleed into our next episode. But uh, one of the things about the movie that I do want to mention is that it actually came out to generally positive reviews. People liked it. I think there was a little bit of,
0: you know, it's a Guillermo del Toro movie.
1: I don't pretend like stuff like that doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. Like,
0: I, I think it's... That you want to like a movie because it's a director you like. Yeah,
1: I I, I think that... No, I, I, think
0: it, I think it happens. I
1: honestly, and I'm not saying... I know how bad it sounds, but I do think that there's a level of, like, people will give it the credit because yeah. it's... Not everybody. I don't think right. you... And I do not think, every movie, too. And I don't think, like, the people that we know who like this movie do that. I, I think especially as... Additional movies come out. I think that that my theory comes to the light a little bit more, but we'll we'll talk about that later. Um, but uh, yeah, the big thing was is that generally it was well received by by critics, uh, but it 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 didn't do gangbusters at the at the box office. In I, fact, I remember the that weekend too. it came out. It came out third to Grown Ups Two and Despicable Me Two, mm-hmm. um, and um, and I remember this being a big thing because. There was this narrative, to and it, and I mentioned it a little bit earlier, that this was, like, a big hope that some people had, that it was going to be, like, a big original, like, IP that, like, you know, that it was going to be, like, new and original, and it was going to be directed by somebody like Guillermo del Toro. Like, people had a lot yeah. of, like, uh, like, riding on it, and especially, like, that was during the prime blossoming of people complaining about, like, reboots and remakes yeah. and you know, the Marvel movies were starting to kind of, like, be successful. So that that was kind of, like, a, a yeah. sticking point for a lot of people. And but also... Oh, it,
0: go ahead. It's also, like, we're in that era of Marvel movie that is just before 2014, mm-hmm. which is, like, I think where there's some of that shift, you know, because this is, like, what, 2013 was, like, Iron Man 3. Yeah. And, you know, it was, like, kind of the post-Avengers. So people, you know, it's just kind of like, okay, the big thing happened, but the Iron Man 3 comes out that year, and it's people are already, like, well, you know. hmm so so that movie does have a kind of like a Shane Black movie so people kind of like it because it's a Shane Black movie (laughs) even though Iron Man 3 is the worst Marvel film oh shit oh no oh man but like 2014 for Marvel was like you know Winter Soldier and Guardians which is kind of a shift in that narrative like where that narrative kind of splits but you're very much right I remember very the
1: worst one really I mean this is a conversation for another time but this is the worst one
0: you think What's I mean, like, either what's worse than that, like two? <laughs> I I rewatch. Okay, like we'll get off the bat. I rewatch both of those, and I definitely think three has more problems on a rewatch. Okay, all right, Fair um, enough. but I remember very distinctly the disappointment at the box office mm-hmm. at that time. Yeah, uh, it was very much the like. You know, again, it it was, did
1: it did well internationally it or did it did, yeah. mar- it did somewhat better internationally than it, it, it did it here.
0: Made, it was one of those things where like it wasn't a total bust, but it didn't, you know, it wasn't making
1: Yeah, you know. It
0: third- was
1: definitely like everybody was kinda like, ooh, we were kinda hoping that would do a lot better right. than it actually did. So I remember that. So that'll lead into our next episode, um, where we will be spending a deep dive episode uh talking about the sequel to Pacific Rim uh and uh called Pacific Rim Uprising and um if this episode was controversial uh for any of you lovers of Pacific Rim then buckle up for the next one baby it's this is, I, I, is going to be a controversial double whammy from your from your co- from your Just co-host Will let's
0: say Will uh Will definitely has a very certain view on the <laughs> Uprising um, maybe somewhat uh enjoyable
1: (laughs) oh no what who me who knows wait until until next week i'll be very interested
0: to like to dissect that movie because i think that's a movie that doesn't get dissected more uh, enough yeah
1: um okay well um i think that will do it for this episode uh again Sorry to Pacific Rim fans, but you know yeah. I, I feel like like at so least I hope you
0: had fun. Still- I,
1: I my goal is always to not just be like oh like we don't like something, but to always be like thorough and constructive about yeah. why something doesn't work for us. So I hope we were able to deliver on that. Um, so that's it for this uh, episode. Once again, you can um, join in on the MonsterVerse watch along on yeah. Twitter. Uh, by the time this episode airs, so that's the 16th. So Thursday uh, at 5 p.m. Pacific time, uh, follow uh, or follow the hashtag MonsterverseWatch watch, watch along. Uh, you follow our, um, our account uh, to join, to yeah. see our commentary. And uh, kind of like what I said on the last commentary, you can join in and comment on anything we're saying. You can ask us anything about the movie or about other questions at yeah. large. And if you want to follow the the professionals,
0: the higher, the higher ups, uh, follow legendary legendary and, and i'm sure at godzilla movie will also have a yeah. unique thing. and then just as a reminder uh, as well so our next deep dive will be into pacific uprising and more discussions on the pacific rim universe uh and then our next bond episode our next main bond episode uh is going to be kingsman secret service um, um which yes. is another movie that i'm going to be very interested to revisit Cool. Omi- ominous tones
1: <laughs> all right well i think that that'll do it uh until next time so uh until next time everybody have, have fun have, be safe nope. no plugs this time uh oh yeah plugs i'm done you're done we're done bonzilla Pl- at away.
0: gmail.com twitter twitter.com slash bonzilla 007 facebook.com slash bonzilla 007 like and subscribe itunes and soundcloud give us a rating review five stars All right. You know, all right.
1: Well, uh, everybody, stay safe and uh, buckle down until this apocalypse is canceled. So, <laughs> that's uh,
0: that's good. It's good. I All like right. That. Take care. All right.